2023, and it's exactly 2 p.m. May we have the roll call, please? Yes, Commissioner Kearney? Present. Commissioner Benzel? Here. Commissioner Snayer? Uh, Commissioner Rothschild? Here. Okay, and we do have quorum. Um, for the record, Commissioner Hakimi and Commissioner Shield is not here for today's meeting. Also, Commissioner Stryker, Chair for CDR Committee, cannot attend the meeting as well for today. We also have present is the Program Director, Deputy Director of Programs, Joanne Lee. And I think that's for staff, right? Yep. Okay. And I'm going to turn it back over to Commissioner Kearney. Thank you all for coming today. Um, the chair, Commissioner um, Snyder, is not here today. Stryker is not here today. So she gave me a script. And so here we go. Welcome to the Civic Design Review Committee hybrid meeting. It's wonderful to see everyone in person today. Today, the Civic Design Review meeting have returned to regular meetings in room 125 of the War Memorial Veterans Building here at 401 Van Ness. Although the Civic Design Review Com Committee's commissioners and presenters are required to meet in person, the meeting will be conducted as a hybrid meeting to allow public comments and the public access to the Civic Design Committee meetings either remotely or in person. Furthermore, I'm delighted to welcome Commissioner Brenzel to the committee. Thank you. Before we start, I'd like to remind everyone of the policies and procedures for virtual public meetings. At this meeting, we are bound to follow the structure of our agenda and adhere to the best practices set out in the Good Government Guide. At every public meeting, there is a place for general public comment, where members of the public may comment on any item pertaining to this body. In this case, please keep your general public comments to items under the purview of the San Francisco Arts Commission. For every item on the agenda, and there are four of them, there is also a space for public comment pertaining to that particular item. Respectfully, we ask that you keep your public comment on topic. Lastly, a few virtual meeting housekeeping items. Commissioners and staff, if you have not already done so, please mute your microphone to minimize background noise. When you speak, you will have to unmute yourselves. Commissioners, please raise your hand to be recognized to speak or ask questions if it is not already clear to me that you are the next speaker. Also, please introduce yourselves so other callers on the phone or on WebEx will know who is speaking. I will now turn it over to the interim secretary, Lopez White for public comment instructions. Thank you. For members of the public who wish to make public comment on items on the agenda, the phone number to call is 415-655-001. The access code is 2598-263-9438. Then press pound twice. You will hear a beep and you join the meeting as attendee. The line will be muted and you'll be able to hear the meeting in progress. You may also make public comments using the WebEx link. When you click the WebEx link, you'll be prompted to enter the following information. First, last name and email. These fields are required. However, if you wish to remain anonymous, you may type public and public, you may type public, public in the first and last name fields and public at public.com and email field. 
Please make sure that you're in a quiet location. All devices around you are muted so there is no echo. At the appropriate time, the chair will request for public comment. For members of the public using the WebEx link, please click the hand icon to raise your hand. This will place you in the public comment queue. When it's your time to speak, you'll be unmuted by the moderator and then you will use your time to speak. Now, for members of the public that's calling by phone, you'll be prompted to press star three when public comment period opens. This will add you to the speaker line. When the microphone has been unmuted, you will be asked to state your name for the records. You encourage, but not required to state your name for the record. I will start your three minutes when you begin speaking using a visual timer. You will receive a 30 second audible warning when your time is up. I will say caller, your time is up. At that point, you place on mute and moved out of the speaker line. I will also pause briefly before closing public comments to ensure that no other commenters are seeking to speak on that item. Participants who wish to speak on agenda items can remain on the line and listen for the next public comment opportunity. Anyone who speaks during public comment at today's meeting may also send a brief written summary of their comments to be included in the minutes, if it is 100 words or less, at paris.coats at sfgov.org. As a reminder, the summary may be rejected if it exceeds the pre-subscribed word limit or is not an accurate summary of the speaker's comment. Public comment instructions will also be on the screen, as you see here. You may also notice that WebEx includes closed captioning functions, and you may turn those functions off and on at the bottom left of left screen of your left corner of your screen. Commissioner Kearney, please proceed with the meeting when you are ready. Thank you. As usual, we will start start the meeting by reading our land use acknowledgement statement. The San Francisco Arts Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Raimatus Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Raimatus Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place as well as for all the people who reside in their territorial territory and traditional territory. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Raimatus community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. As a department dedicated to promoting a diverse and equitable arts and cultural environment in San Francisco, we are committed to supporting the traditional and contemporary evolution of the American Indian community. Let's begin with item number two, general public comment. Okay. Is there any general public comment? We will be taking in-person public comment first. For those joining remotely, please raise your hand if you're listening via WebEx. If you are calling by phone, press star three. You'll be placed in a queue. Please press only once since pressing it more than once will remove you from the queue. We are currently on item two, general public comment. As a reminder, I will start your time when you begin speaking. You will see an audible, you will see a visual timer once you're listening via WebEx and you receive a 30 second audible warning. You'll be muted once your time is up. However, you may stay on the line if you wish to speak on other agenda items. Anyone who speaks during public comment at today's meeting can also provide a 
brief written summary of the comments to be included in the minutes if it is 150 words or less at paris.coats at sfgov.org. Okay. Checking for in person public comments. Um, it looks like we have one. Okay. Uh, caller, you are unmuted. Caller. Hello. Public comment. Hello. Oh, no, just is for the uh, Japan town. Okay, that, that'll be the next item. This is for general public comment. I'm sorry. No problem. We'll see, we'll see you in a bit. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Um, I don't see any other hands raised. Um, okay, then we'll move on to item number three, and that is the Japantown Peace Plaza Small Project Review Phases 2 and 3. This project has been previously reviewed at the October 17th, 2022 meeting. Team, are you ready to present? Whenever you're ready. Great. Can you hear me? Okay, great. Hi, commissioners. Hello. Everyone, thank you for having us here. Um, so my name is Marion Koss. I'm the project manager with Reckon Park. And I'm here to present phase two and three of Japantown Peace Plaza renovation. It's a curb to curb renovation within the property lines. And um, so if we can have the... Oh, do I get to trans? Okay, great. Thank you. Do I have a pointer or something? Okay. Oh, okay. All right. So there you have Japantown Peace Plaza. That's an existing photograph that we can always refer back to, but you can see it's between Gary Street and Post Street and between the East and the West Mall. And I'm just going to move through this to get the, to the goods part. So what you're seeing here is our concept design, and you've seen an iteration of this pretty much the way that it was before. Um, but now we have further details that brings us to the phase two and phase three portion of the project. So um, the next slide is just showing an annotated version of it. And what I can do here is I can point and show you Gary Street is in the background, the street is in the foreground. We have, can you hear me still? Okay. we have. Uh, the, uh, the main entrance from Post Street, two side uh, planted areas. They are, um, uh, anyway, upper plaza, lower plaza, and in the background, you've got the pagoda. I'm gonna let Jennifer take on a little bit more of this. So, um, so a little bit of background for, you know, those of you that may see me for the first time too, is that um, the Japantown Peace Plaza is a, uh, it was a community driven, project. We had almost 60 uh, public meetings on the project since 2018. 30 of them were um, in person. And we recently had two that were a larger community meeting, one in September, and before we got came here last time, and the last one was in February. Um, we meet monthly with the Japantown Task Force uh, Committee of Japantown Peace Plaza. And so what you see here are these five um, goals, design goals that were created by the community and that guides the project in its entirety. So it's to make Post Street visually open and inviting, to provide a large permanent stage, 
to make Peace Plaza an inviting and playful space, create an inviting visual expression along Gary Boulevard, and to incorporate the significant elements which we're going to focus on today. So a little agenda. I did the intro. I'm going to pass this on to Jennifer Cooper, who's with Public Works. She's led the incredible design team that we have. We have like 20, 30, I don't know, there's a lot of people involved in this project made up of landscape architects, architects, engineers, structural, mechanical, plumbing, you know, the, the works, and um, preservation consultants, structural preservation consultants as well. Um, we also have a cultural advisor on the project who was selected by the Japantown Task Force. His name is um, uh, Mas Masahiro Inuoe. He probably will be calling in, I hope. He, He's going to be leading for Japan tomorrow, so hopefully. And then um, we also have uh, with us here Jeremy Regenbogen with Macchiato, and he's uh, focusing on the interpretive elements of the plaza. And so I'm giving the introduction, passing it on to Jennifer, then Jeremy's going to present, and then it'll go back to Jennifer, and then we're open for comments. So let's see. Um, just to give you the nuts and bolts about the project, uh, we're planning to advertise this at the in the summertime uh, construction starting next year then it'll take a year and a half and plus through the end of the following year and um, it's predominantly a infrastructure project you've got to think about this it's 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 a plaza and there we've incorporated a lot of landscape elements but predominantly it is a rooftop design so that has guided a lot of the the design Okay, and I think with that, I've taken more than my four minutes that I promised Jennifer, and I'm going to pass it on to her. No problem, Marianne. Let's see, I'll scoot close to the mic. Hi, I'm Jennifer Cooper. It's really nice to be in person with you guys for the first time in years, probably. So it's good to see you all and hi to everybody online. So what you're seeing here is the previous concept that we brought before even CDR phase one. And then next to it is the current proposed plan on the right here. And so structurally, they're primarily the same. So if you're looking back and forth, there's not a lot of differences between the two. There's still a green welcoming planted area at, post, at the post street edge. Um, a welcoming area here in the upper plaza and then a curved step which takes you down to the lower plaza and the pagoda which will get a seismic upgrade and so the main structural change is the grove so what we heard from the community is they really preferred to have cherry the cherry trees adjacent to the pagoda we had previously had them on post street but they really wanted them closer to the pagoda so due to the smaller stature of the cherry trees they didn't really work in the grove formation that we had them in before. They're just gonna to be too short initially when they're planted. So we have them here kind of embracing the pagoda and we raise them up in planters to give them an adequate soil volume and to raise them up above the public's um, head when they're circulating. So those are the primary structural changes that you'll see, but obviously there's also quite a bit of development around the paving design, which you'll hear more about from Jeremy. And I'm gonna pass around some samples. They're porcelain pavers. It's nice to have actual physical samples for the first time in a while. Um, yeah, so you can touch them, check them out. We'll talk about them more. Next slide, please. Or I can I can do it here. Okay. Oh, look at that. Okay. So here we are. Here's the entrance on Post Street. This is primarily the same as what you would have seen before, a very green entrance, uh, welcoming entrance on Post Street, all at grade. And then you can see the cherry trees in the distance with the pagoda adjacent. So that was the main change in this view. 
And then you could see here some of the more intimate seating nooks along Post Street. This is a view of one. You could start to see the paving starting to express itself in these renderings. We've also added lighting to the planters so that we keep keep a welcoming ambiance at night in these more intimate seating areas. Another one of the nooks here, you can see the paving. We've also salvaged some of the cultural elements that are existing on the site today. And the benches start to take on more definition as we're now well into this construction document process. And you can see the pagoda in the back with the cherry trees. Takes a minute to transition. Okay, and here's really where you could see the biggest change to the design in the area that was the grove. So here's the cherry trees and raised planters going all the way around the pagoda. And this maintains a flexible space here. We're also able to add additional seating in the raised planters. We kept the seating along the West Mall and we kept this double-sided seating here. So it starts to create some smaller, smaller areas within this larger zone. And what was important is we worked with the community events, the people that do the community events and what they need, because really one of the big asks was to have a bigger stage in front of the pagoda. So this area can be blocked off for dancers, performers, musicians as a backstage, and then they can enter through the planters right to the front of the stage. So this maintains a lot of flexibility for what the community needed. Here you can see the lower plaza. There's still a stepped seating area here, which is good for day to day, but also for the larger performances. And I'll show you this here because we're gonna talk about it more as the lighting. So the water element is gonna be expressed through lighting in the lower plaza. And you can start to see here, there's some light poles, maybe a little hard to see on the screen here, that'll project uh, lighting that's gonna mimic water in the plaza. So we have some renderings of that coming up. And this one is just a slightly zoomed in version. You could see how we're utilizing the existing boulders as a playful element within the decking. And here we're looking at the same space facing the other way, but it really just shows you what it's going to be used for on a daily basis, with people having lunch, stopping to meet with a friend. But then on a festival day, it'll be really, oh, oh I think that, oh, there we go. Here's the festival day where you can see how it's, you know, full, the amphitheater's full of people. There's movable seating within the lower plaza for the Cherry Blossom Festival. And lastly, the Geary Street frontage which will be adding more planting to this frontage. And Jeremy's gonna show some more advancement on the signage. We're also integrating the existing calligraphy. Okay, and to end with the cultural elements, before I hand it off to Jeremy, the existing boulders are being reused. The cherry trees have been reoriented around the pagoda. The pagoda itself is receiving a seismic retrofit. The eternal flame is being reinterpreted with light and signage. The cultural heritage monument will stay in place. The water feature that was proposed in the vision plan is now being reinterpreted with light and the calligraphy will be recreated on Gary Street and the flagpoles will stay in place. And with that, I'll hand it off to Jeremy Regenbogen from Macchiato. Hello, everybody. I'm Jeremy Regenbogen with Macchiato. Um, uh, thanks for having us here today. I have been doing signage and interpretive environments in San Francisco and beyond uh, for over 30 years and got my start at SOM with a couple of the commissioners here uh, doing that. Um, just wanted to talk a little bit about some of the interpretive elements. Uh, so I'll start with some of the things that are already there. Um, you can see, oh, we have a pointer here, upper left. Uh, there's a part of a Japan, 
Japantown history walk um, that's expressed on both the east and west sides of the plaza. These are interpretive panels that are throughout Japantown telling the history of, of Japantown, and those will remain in place. Those are an important part of, of the walk, and we don't want to disrupt that. There's also some panels celebrating innovation, transition, and introduction that those are art, more artistic interpretive elements. We'll leave those in place. The Peace Pagoda itself has its own interpretive value. Uh, we plan on adding some interpretation about it. The Eternal Flame, which I'll show some, some drawings of, uh, we will be reinterpreting it from this very small uh, presence that it has right now. And then I'll be passing it back to Jennifer to talk about the water feature and how we're looking at that. I also want to note that we'll be talking about the overall paving throughout as it's a great interpretive opportunity. One of the things that we will be adding at the south end of the plaza is an interpretive panel highlighting the history and significance of Japantown Peace Plaza itself. It's distinctly missing from the um, from the Japantown history walk right now. We think there's important relevant information that we can provide, and especially around some of the transitions that it's experienced over time. And at both the Gary entrance, uh, which you see to the uh, upper side of this, and the Post Street entr entrance, which you see here, uh, we'll be doing new identification signage that highlights that it is Japantown Peace Plaza. And both will integrate the Ewa calligraphy, Ewa just meaning peace. Um, that's an existing cultural component that's, that's a, part of the, um, a part of the plaza right now, and we'll be reinterpreting it on the uh, in the new signage. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the eternal flame. Uh, it's something that's uh, been deemed of a special special importance to the community. Um, it's something that in the early uh, early uh, design of the of the Peace Plaza itself was a much more prevalent feature. It was an actual um, Fire that that burned directly in front of the pagoda, and it was surrounded. Is the mic going in and out? Sorry. All right. Um, it was surrounded by uh, a reflecting pool, which we'll be reintroducing as as a uh, interpretive feature, but in a different way. And then when the plaza was redeveloped in the late '90s, the the flame needed to be protected, and it was it was basically pushed into a, a wall. In a glass behind a glass block, as you see here, uh, it's something that's easily missed. Uh, what we noted is that we can no longer have any type of any type of flame in the uh, in the space, but we wanted to elevate this back to uh, some of its original glory and and it, and celebrate its its significance within the new design. And so, what we're looking to do, and this is a this is a design that has been elevated through an extensive design process with the Japantown Task Force and with the community. Um, this is the the design that was chosen for further advancement. Uh, we'll be looking to integrate a feature into a, a main wall at the south end of the plaza. This is directly behind the pagoda, so it's tied to it. It shares some of the original significance, and we'll be. Uh, embedding a, um, a granite feature that's engraved with a Shinto poem. The poem's still to be determined, but this is tying back to its um, original source of the flame was the Grand Sumiyashi Shrine in Japan. So we intend on and recreating this, this connection back to that shrine through the Shinto poem. It'll also have a small interpretive statement about its, um, about its origins and its significance now. And then, of course, 
because we can no longer have uh, open flame or even enclosed flame, we're looking to simulate that. And what you see as a halo treatment around this device um, is a LED lighting effect. And um, the, the lighting effect, we're gonna work with uh, different effects to see what is what creates the, the most um, uh, purposeful uh, recreation of flame without overthinking like the without making it too grand of a of a visual statement we don't want it to look like like disneyland but the idea here is to indeed have it uh represent the the flame as a halo lighting behind it and um, just a heads up you have five minutes okay sounds good is that overall or just for interpretation okay i'll go a little faster so uh i'm going to hand this back to uh jennifer to talk about water and um oh sorry actually there's some paving studies wanted to talk briefly about the directions for the paving we thought it was a great uh interpretive opportunity uh, what we're looking at is a traditional uh, Japanese pattern called kasumi, and you can see floating in this illustration uh, this the general direction of that design. It's uh, it's based on some Japanese characters, uh, and it in, invokes the ideas of mist or fog, and that's been retranslated in a, a number of different like Japanese cultural elements, like like fabric, as you see here. And so I'm just gonna forward through this particular slide. Oh, sorry, that's the only one that we have. Okay, so what we've done is we've interpreted the Kasumi pattern across the paving and the paving samples that you all saw, these porcelain tiles will have a contrasting effect where we're uh, developing the pattern as, a, as a, an element within the paving. And what you're seeing here is something a little bit less than a regular pattern we're intending for that to be almost caught up in some of the architectural features, the site features. So the same way that like a fog, we get caught on a, on a building or a hillside. Uh, and this is just to kind of celebrate the movement of fog throughout the space, celebrate the pedestrians through the space and still have this culturally relevant aspect to the paving. And with that, I'll pass it back to Jennifer. Thanks, Jeremy. Okay, so as you can see here, this is the lighting plan. And so we have, you know, standard pole lights connecting the East and West Mall and framing the entrance. But what I really want to show here is the lighting effect. So we had talked about a way of reinterpreting water. So we're using colored light and gobos from three different directions to, to project into the lower plaza. So it really feels like water here. You can see the original intent of the vision plan. Here's how we might interpret it with light. And here's an actual installation of the same type of um, system that we're going to use. The Pagoda is also going to receive improved lighting, and so that'll be similar to Coit Tower where you can change the colors remotely, so Rec Park will have that ability. Here you can see a rendering of the plaza as it would look with, with all the lighting features integrated. And to talk about the planting briefly, since we did move the cherry trees from Post Street around the Pagoda, the trees along Post will be Japanese maple with a subtly mounded landscape within the planters, including a lot of colorful azaleas and plants with more grass-like textures and also some sedum. And then uh, the bamboo will be backing the terrace seating. And you can see here just a little more detail of the azaleas. We're going to be including iris, other grass-like textures like dwarf bamboo and ophiopogon. And here's some sedum that would help uh, really show the mounds in the, in the planter areas. 
And we looked at the bloom schedule. So the cherries would start right around now and then would move in the spring into the azaleas and then into the fall color of the trees. So there's really always going to be something going on in the plaza. You know, it's easy to focus on the cherries, you know, because it's so important to the community, but it is just, you know, a very short period of time. So we want to make sure it looks good throughout the whole year. Yeah, and then we'll end on this view and we're happy to go back to any other slides you want to look at more. And thank you so much. Just a Thank you very much. That was very interesting and informative. Commissioners, your comments. Who wants to go first? There you go. Uh, question about the lighting of the pagoda. Um, it seems to be more the internal lighting, which I think is really cool and that you can change the colors. I think that's great. But I'm curious as to, you know, you have the spire at the top. It seems to be getting lost. Could you talk about that? Mm -hmm. Oh, Mary, if you want to speak to it, that's fine. Either way. Hi, Commissioner. Yeah, um, so we actually had taken your comment about adding more lights both on top of the roof and below it. And it turns out that it's actually a real challenge for operations to be able to change any of the lamps. We would have to go ahead and um, either scaffold at intervals and or, you know, like figure out a way to project light from other sources. And there isn't anything that's really up high enough to be able to do that kind of thing. In addition to, you know, having to put hardware on other people's roofs. So what we're doing is right now what you see is in there they have four pretty massive lights that shine up into it. And we're enhancing that by having the more, um, I wanna say subtle and uh, magnified lights that are available now because the lights that, we're, that we have in there right now are pretty, um, you know, pretty old sure. <laughs> from that tent. But, but we're limited by the ability to get up and down into that space. Hmm. Does that answer your question? Well, <laughs> um, it, it, it doesn't answer mine. I'm the one who brought it up. I'm, right. I'm not convinced by that. Um, I spent quite a bit of time at the last meeting. I really do think that that's a lost opportunity in Japantown. Koi Tower is such a feature within the city. And I think um, the Pagoda could be a, an enormous feature as well to that entire neighborhood going down Geary and, and from that whole area, the visual sight lines go right to that building. Adding light, getting some light on the um, five sloped roofs would be would be very helpful. That spire on top, your rendering show it as maybe six feet tall, maybe ten feet in some, but it's probably nearly twenty feet or more tall. And I looked at quite a few pagodas in Japan and China where they light up the spire and they light up the roofs. Sometimes it takes spotlights to go on it. I would almost rather see more lighting go toward the pagoda than toward the water feature lighting that you have on the plaza because it enhances the entire neighborhood and the entire part of town whereas you actually would have to be in the plaza. Don't get me wrong, I love the lighting effect that you're doing in the plaza. I think that's brilliant. And I'd love you to have that and the pagoda lit up. In fact, if you could make a commitment to lighting it somehow in the future. I just, you're doing a seismic upgrade on the building. So it seems like you're going to be working in that pagoda quite extensively and you could add more lights higher up. So I'm not really 
buying it that you have to keep the just those four spotlights at the bottom because your rendering does show it as just a hot spot at the bottom that doesn't go all the way up. It really doesn't address that lighting issue in my view. And if there's another way to do that, um, so you're saying it's a budget issue. It's, it can't be just getting up higher to do the work. It's a few issues, really. It's more about um, what we're required to provide as fall protection for any staff that goes up there. And because it is a historic building, you know, we're limited in terms of being able to put in a ladder that goes all the way up because it has to mimic exactly what's there now. So we have made a commitment to um, replicate all of the historic elements that are there now. Uh, the challenge is not so much initially installing, but also maintaining it and keeping it up. And what I what I did, because we've done extensive research with our operations staff about what goes on at Coy Tower, they actually are redundant in all their lights so that if one or two go out, you'd never notice, the public never notices. So for us to be able to do this in this particular site gets a little bit trickier because of the fact that it's not coming from one source that you can access easily, but a place that you have to access multiple areas and still provide that security. Um, I'd love to work with you offline with your experience in other places to, you know, look at it a little bit deeper and see if there's something compromised that we can, you know, achieve. The photograph that you saw is an existing photograph and it does show that glow because of the light fixture that's there right now. What we are planning to do is use current lights, right, because they're much more sophisticated now and they could be pointed. And we're expecting that we can have a higher and more even, you know, sort of um, row, if you will, rather than these hot spots that are coming from these four, I, I call them like, you know, the, the lights that you, you'd use in parking lots, for instance, right? So, so anyway, so that we, we did really, really look into it. Could you go back to the lighting shot? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. For the photograph. So, so the way that you explained it is helpful because mm -hmm. I thought during the seismic upgrade you would have access to the upper parts of the tower, but it's the maintenance issue that you're worried about, yeah. not the ladders, yeah. et cetera. All right, well, I hope there can be a budget for that in the future because it really could be transformative, not just for the plaza, but for the entire neighborhood. Yeah. To me, that is the star of Japantown. Yeah. All the, the beautiful flowers and everything, the eternal flame, all of that is wonderful, and a lot of money is going into that. But to be transformative, it's the tower. I mean, that's Japantown's opportunity to not only boost itself back on the map where it used to be, but to remain on the map if it could be lit up. And the roofs are part of that, getting some light, because just the shaft is not enough. The roofs have to have some light, but that spire on top doesn't even show currently and so it still won't show right now it looks like there's a little light on it there'll be no light on that so that's a disappointment <laughs> i know it, it it is also for us to be honest okay and the research that we did we also looked at projections from other sources and a lot of it can come from this side, but then the other side is, you know, dark. And so it's been kind of complicated, especially our lighted designer is really um, uh, intent on making sure that we have it glow, like you said. And if we don't have the points for wh from wh which we can project, it really does feel a little bit off. So I'll go through my, my other questions too. the paving pattern. 
is is really nice and i um uh, i thought maybe it was to be water but now i understand it's it's fog i wonder if this is enough of a color difference probably it would work is it too subtle or we were anyway, just, we were just talking about that as well and i think we're going to have to get really full scale samples to really start to tell and yeah. take them outside into the plaza and just see based on like actual daylight what it looks like so that you can really read it i've worked on projects where there's not enough subtlety or there's too much so it really it's a delicate balance so that's an pretty the paving gets right and it will get filthy yeah. that was also a question i had last time was about the cracking this looks pretty thick currently it's a mess to walk through that plot. Oh, it's three quarter inch, the porcelain pavers. And we ended up deciding to do it on a mortar bed with a four inch lightweight concrete slab to just make sure it was a really robust section because oh. that thin slate that's on there now just cracks right. so easily. So we definitely don't want to see that again. Um, I did notice some hints. Currently, there are some hints of cobblestone that bleed over. There's the pedestrian walkway across post with the fountain in it this, that has thick cobblestones. And I brought a few of that through the street and onto the entrance to the Peace Plaza. And you seem to have gotten rid of that. Is that for ADA reasons? or That is something we need to look at because we're also going to be working on a sockaway across the street and looking at those cobbles as part of a separate project that you'll also see oh. come to you. But, um, yeah, there is that just small kind of shadow of it across the street. So we need to take a look to see if that's something that can be replicated within the porcelain pavers. It might be a bit difficult, but yeah, I think it's worth looking at. As someone who lives nearby, I, I love that that other side, the cobblestone area. I wish the fountain could work. But they I will, like the, they will work again. Okay, good. But I love the way it bleeds into to the other plaza. It gives that hint that keep walking. It's not just the plaza, but go across the street. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if we've you talked yeah. about the we've talked about doing a crosswalk as well, if we could fit it into to the other project. Oh, that would be helpful. Um and I love the interpretive panels and the either names as well. I wasn't Sorry, names, uh, names of, of prominent people from Japantown. Well, so when we're looking at the primary interpretive panel, that first panel that I showed, uh, the idea behind that is around the history and significance of the of the plaza itself, which will include some of the prominent figures that were important in its development. I see. Yeah. The eternal flame is who who wouldn't love a real eternal flame, but they're they're not allowed. Um, the the halo around the poem, you know, the poem is, is beautiful and. And the idea is beautiful, but it, will it flicker or any, will there be any hint that it's a flame, like, trying to be a flame? Yeah, like you pointed out about the paving and, and dialing and that perfect balance of being subtle but not too subtle, I think we need to do the same thing with the lighting. And we will indeed be doing some studies around that lighting to make sure that it does read as fire, um, but not something that's just so pronounced that it's gaudy. So finding finding that balance, appropriate balance. But that's something the beauty of modern LED lighting and its programmability will oh, be able sure. to dial. Uh, and even change over time. If if the community feels that it's not prominent enough or too prominent, we can dial it back or, or up. Uh, Commissioner Carney, if I could just interject at this yeah. point because we're talking about the flame. I had a question there. Is it at all possible on this part of the conversation? I mean, I know it's you know, a granite slab there and stuff. But there is, is there any way to do some kind of a design of a flame cut into there so that you could see that happening as well? Because th this is lovely, but it's so understated. I don't know how people are going to 
understand what it is as they just go by. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's possible. I just it's, it's interesting that you bring that up. That was a part of extensive conversation with the Japantown Task Force and the community. And that was one of the iterations that we had was something that was actually more suggestive of a flame or actually a couple of the directions. And predominantly the community chose the one that was more subdued. Um, with the knowledge, and, and of course you're not seeing the effect, we actually had a kind of a double slide action that kind of shows that that flame effect a little bit. It's it's not overtly subtle. I think it'll be more subtle during the day. At night, it'll really kind of pop as a as inten intentional flame. I'll also note that it has interpretive text that will go on the panel that that right. tell about what it is. But yeah, we did do some studies that that showed like cutouts of flames and inclusive of like having that backlit yeah. with the same halo lighting. Okay. Well, if the community prefers it the other way. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, so interesting. This this uh, beautiful uh, plaque. Um, it it seems like it has so much potential. <laughs> I was wondering how you you got to the square shape as opposed to another shape. Yeah, so it's actually intended to evoke the original design of the of the original pyre that you see at left. Um, we did start with uh, some circular designs, and that was um, there were some concerns that with a halo lighting effect that it looked like an eclipse, which oh, yeah. has its own like yeah. like potentially negative connotations that they didn't oh, want to explore. So we went to the square shape that harkens back to the original design, and then that alleviated the. There you go. Yeah. There you go. It's super interesting. Yeah, and then also just if you go back to the, uh, oh. um, that one. Yeah. yeah, just in terms of the scale of the uh, the relief uh, around the plaque, it's interesting too. I'm sure that it's been studied, but it's oh closer to the mic. Yeah, just uh, uh, you know, if it it's kind of along Abby's point or maybe your point, if the um, relief was wider, would that give it more presence. So yeah. the, the plaque is one size and you probably have what, three or four inches around it? Yeah, notable that this is a new concrete wall that will have an impression that holds the, the plaque flush with it. Mm -hmm. So the effect that you're seeing is kind of within that reveal as you noted. Uh -huh. And we do need to study that further with the, the exact lighting that we use to Got see it. what pro produces the desired effect. And then also uh, to Marion's point about operations and being able yeah. to um, get in, and yeah. but not also not letting people yeah. like yeah. get in there. So it's a lot of things to dial, but yeah, it is one of the I, things I we're studying. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's cool. Nice. I have just uh, I have just a couple more questions uh, and comments. The, the seating nooks allow social and private opportunities, which I, I really like. I think you did a, a great job on that. Uh, there were some tighter areas in some of the earlier iterations. Um, not living too far away, I go through there quite often, and sometimes there's some things in the more private areas that maybe shouldn't be happening. So I like the way you've opened it up a bit. And I think that it offers opportunities for, for older people and those having snacks at lunch to not feel threatened and to, and to be part of that. Uh, the plant, the planting certainly seem um, appropriate and symbolic and you and the variety of, of seasonal color, et cetera, and the low maintenance all seem like good choices. However, the bamboo, I'm wondering about in the high wind in that neighborhood. I've seen some bamboo hedges that, that don't do very well. The western hedges against the side of that building, the other one is a little more open, but I'm sure you've looked at that. Right, yeah, just looking at which particular bamboo species are going to deal um, better with the wind is some, something we've looked at. And 
Yeah, as long as kind of the post street edge seems to be a bit windier. So hopefully a little more protected in the back. But yeah, we'll definitely be looking at that as we dial in which species of bamboo. Yeah. And the, uh, I love the, um, the pink Japanese blossom, you know, the, the cherry blossoms around the pagoda. Um, but aren't they along the street as well? Could you introduce some along as street trees? You said you took those away there, but that there the are rest... some existing as street trees. Um, okay. but we so just... those will remain. Mm -hmm. This is nice to have a unified street presence of those trees. So they will remain as well as the, the curved ones around the pagoda. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, any, any existing cherry trees would stay in the streets. Okay, great. But those were all of my comments. I can get that song. You yeah. Okay. I just have. Um, I love that flame. I the, in the original, it is in front of the pagoda, and this seems like it's going to be behind the largest structure. And I just, I'm new here, but it seems tucked away too far. So that's sorry. Just, <laughs> that's a thought I had. Maybe I'm wrong about that. The yeah. other thought I had is totally unrelated. You talked about snacks, Commissioner Carney, and it made me think of trash recycling and compost. And I hope you'll have lots of receptacles throughout the plaza so that we can keep it clean. So just noting, um, you know, the, the thing about the prominence of the of the panel and its adjacency to the pagoda is something that we we definitely wanted to highlight. So the intent is this is actually a new construction wall and we'll have it right central to the plaza and directly adjacent the, the pagoda. Yep. Um, okay, shall I go through my Tick through my things. Uh, I was wondering, and again, I, uh, I'm I'm new to this particular presentation, but I was wondering if you could uh, take me through a a, a wheelchair or an accessible route. Um, it seems I didn't quite realize what's the what's the difference in elevation between Post and Geary. When you're at the Geary Street side, you step down. There's stairs here, uh -huh, uh -huh. and then there's an accessible ramp here. Oh, okay, got it. Whole story. Going it, down is there. it that yeah so it's a pretty significant okay. drop and then so you're at grade at post street and then it drops down here so if you're entering on post street how do you get uh ah, so this is flush yeah so the, oh, yeah, yeah I get this that. is all flush with yep. grade yep and then if you wanted to get down you could either go around this side uh-huh or you can go around this side as the accessible route so it's probably way too late to make this comment but uh to actually get to the lower plaza from post street in a wheelchair is a, is a tiny bit onerous. Uh, maybe it's too late to say that, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's around the sides. Yeah, it's not yeah, straight through. Yeah, it's it seems uh, you know if you're with a with another person and they're able to walk right down to the lower plaza. Oh, there. Kind of yeah, sorry. Split. Oh, okay, good. All right, cool, cool. Okay, so that you have the experience of the pagoda if you are in a wheelchair. Okay, okay. So it doesn't go all the way down to here. Mm -hmm. So it's flat to about here. Okay, that's super helpful. Um, a little bit better. Uh, and then um, another thing uh, in terms of, uh, I find it a, um, a little bit confusing um, that I don't know what's on either side of the plaza and that's my bad. I should really have a better familiarity with it, but I, I don't know if you guys have a, like a, yeah, I know the, there's the, they're called the East, the East and West mall. So uh -huh. there's the mall buildings that are there. Mm -hmm. Yeah restaurants well it seems it, yeah it seems like there should be some um interaction um between the plaza 
and those two walls uh again maybe it's huh. they, okay I, I don't know oh, here we go yeah 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 so some i'm not sure what that relationship is but it seems like it would be important yeah, uh, there's to, a main entrance here but then uh -huh. there's no um there's no transparency on okay. this facade got it got it then on Di the daiso is the store here and there's and and there's an entrance here that's not currently used right got it. entrance here that's not currently used in the main entrance here got it and that's where you have your your uh, your cross mm -hmm. uh, your your cross path, yeah. So just as an aside, it seems like it, it would be important to. And I know those are commercial uh, things that change, but it would be nice to acknowledge in those a perfect in your world, rendering. In, all, perfect, in a perfect world, it would all open up. I know, I know, or or be acknowledged in the in the renderings. I, I think because they're they're that visual uh, visual um, elevation is be part of part of that. Um, and then I guess. Uh, another thing is, uh, love all the raised planters. And if you could go to a, um, yeah. So what happens if the plants, uh, don't gracefully kind of edge over the side? If they uh, attack over the side? Or well, they? right now they're beautifully, uh, rendered. So they're, uh, edging over the side of the raised planters. And I, and I can just imagine that if for some reason they, they die or they're held back or they're cut that, um, we might end up with, um, skateboard, um, stops. Ah, I see. We'll be looking at the whole site with that in mind. Okay. Yeah. That was something we've been. Oh, maybe I'm going about. too far yeah. into the details. No. Okay. Okay. Our intention is to integrate all of those edges uh -huh. so that you'll have some sort of, um, I want to say, stops inherently in the design. Okay. Not necessarily perfect. attach on. Perfect. So there's something in the concrete like, detail. Right, right, right. Okay. Okay. So this is probably a little too plump. And those boulders that you saw uh -huh. um, in the stepped seating area, uh -huh. that was also the intention to keep skateboarders from going in there as well. So we've strategically placed certain... Um, if you will, barriers, tasteful uh -huh. barriers, uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> to even keep to start from the run that you'd get if you were on a skateboard. Okay. Okay. But then we're going into the details of those edges, like you're talking about. Okay. Okay. So a little maybe too too early for that. Um, oh, I was wondering if we could go back to the Geary um, Plaza entry, and again, it might be too early or too late for these comments, but um, or maybe it's not in your purview. Um, the elevation of the the blank walls. Ah, there you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, is that in your purview, those walls? Are you talking about the lower ones? I'm talking about the blank. Uh, the white ones? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, let me get closer to this. <laughs> yeah, sorry. It's a little easier to speak this way. So um, there's a few uh, community projects that are kind of related to it, but are not part of ours. Okay. And um, I understand that they've already had certain uh, community meetings oh. associated with the intent is to have a mall, uh, a mural there. Okay, great. Right. And so it's going through the whole cultural experience oh, of it, in addition to who owns the wall huh. and making sure about the maintenance behind it and all yep. that. So, oh, okay, great. so I, I don't know the specifics of it because it hasn't come to Rec and Park just yet. Okay, great. So still, it's a separate project yeah, altogether. Separate project that hopefully will integrate with your beautiful uh, wall back there. Okay, great. Uh, everyone who is working on the whole cultural component of it uh -huh. with um, the Japantown Task Force is also working with the groups that are doing the extra little, hey, can we add this to it? Can we add that to it? Oh, cool. So. Okay. Okay. And then um, I also love the uh, paving idea and uh, not to go over the same comments, but I was just wondering why you all picked the scale that you did. Um, 
because it, it was interesting. Um, it's evocative of um, fog and wind. And so I was wondering the scale that you picked. Uh, yeah, so there's um, the <laughs> yeah, there's very specific um, yeah. rules to how Kasumi patterns like this operate. Okay, and you you can get a gist of it here. Um, it's it's based on a couple of uh, characters, uh, yeah. uh, kanji characters, and so the scale itself is partially determined by the scale of the paper availability. So these are two foot squares, and so it limits our ability to really play with. Um, the the scale to a level of granularity that we'd ultimately like to but what we arrived at with this was a scale that we felt comfortably could be still be identified as kasumi patterns and then have that kind of playful um, interactivity with the site features as you as you see it here got it there and i'll just say also that this uh patterning like the eternal flame was a process where we actually did a number of different yep. designs um and not just with kasumi patterns but other things that were representative of water and this was the one that the community kind of uni uni unanimously chose and i guess i'm I, it's interesting that um do you all feel that this and not to drill down on this too much, but the scale, it almost feels too small. So I, I was just wondering if you ever tried something bigger, like I feel like wind and fog, I mean, uh, and then as you're walking across the plaza, uh, just that gesture, uh, I don't know, uh, it, it seems like you'd be more encompassed in it as opposed to like walking over it. Yeah, I think the, well, I'll just say that first, the patterns themselves are not fully fleshed out and still subject to more um more study and that is something that we can look at is like the impact of that i think when you're down at at human level like as you as you know um like it definitely changes your perception of that and i think like the the scale of other things in the in the uh environment um i think we're trying to like look to create that nice balance between the two and sure um and and like as a bigger skill, I think you lose some of the granular details that might show up in your in your particular view. But, yeah, but sure, sure. definitely something we'll study. So. Yeah, no worries. It's just a thought. Like, how do you balance something that's more decorative versus more evocative? I think. Yeah. 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 Super cool. Okay. Any more commissioner comments? Before we go to public comment, I would like to acknowledge that the Director of Cultural Affairs, Ralph Remington from the Arts Commission is here. So do we have any public comment? Okay, we will. Oh. We, ha we have one in room. We have a microphone over a podium. Are you going to read Thank you. Cool. Oops, I got Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Karen Kai, and I'm here on behalf of origami artist Linda Mihara and myself. Uh, since last August, we've been working on a proposal for a peace crane statue for the Peace Plaza. Um, 
there is, of course, as was acknowledged here, a signage that will be placed that focuses on the peace flame. The sculpture we are considering is based on the origami peace sphere created by Linda Mihara. Peace cranes, as you know, the origami cranes are regarded as peace cranes. This is a tradition that comes from Japan, from the story of Sadako Sasaki, who was a young girl who died from the atomic bomb disease, leukemia. And the cranes are a very important sculptural representation. And this is something that we believe will replace that personal element, that thing that you can go up to and recognize and see, and it evokes and inspires peace because it's there, it's known, it comes from a figure that's created by hand, by heart, it's tied to us culturally. And we are in discussion with the design team. Um, we've just received a proposal for where we might place the sculpture and this will determine its size, the configuration and size again of its base. We hope to have a lighting feature in it. Um, but the sphere of cranes that you see in the handout is basically, that will be the main element of the sculpture. Um, we, and if, uh, for folks who are on Zoom or the uh, online, this can be viewed at Origami Mihara, and it's under the Renshu, R-E-N-S-H-U, R-E-N-S-U-R-U section of that website. Um, it's a very amazing technique, and we will be coming before you because we are just starting our public process um, now that we're learning the actual size and shape of things on the plaza. We'll be able to create, to scale, and to place appropriately this sculpture. We look at it as being an integrated part. We, Linda is the third generation of her family to be here in Japantown. Uh, she is the owner of Paper Tree Origami Store on Buchanan Mall. Um, we have both been involved in the peace memorials. Thank you. Um, um, sorry and, to interrupt, but your time is up. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Yes. Um, I'm. I'd like to ask you a question. I know this is out of the ordinary, but is this part of the, okay, we have one design team. Is this a suggestion for your team or are you incorporating what, what she is saying? She said it will be an integral part, but is it, do you have the infrastructure for it to be? Is this a separate group? I see it on her handout that it says it will be funded through private donations. Is this something you're prepared to receive with electrical outlets or, or is it something that's the design team even desires to be there? We have been working together through the Japantown Task Force with um, the various you know community members that are proposing other elements on it and Karen's is one of them Karen and Linda's is one of them and they have reached out to us to ask about the weight and ask about materials and you know um, uh, electricity as well so we've made that accommodation 
But you're not sure where it will be located. No, they still have to go through the community process of what it would look like, where exactly to locate it. We do have a section where it's um, it's more appropriate because it would be protected, and we shared that information with um, Karen through our public affairs okay. and Japantown Task Force. Oh, great! Thank you. Super. And thank you, Karen. It looks lovely. Thank you. So, any more public comment? Okay, we're going to take a um, any more in person public comments. In person public comments. Okay, now we be taking public comment through WebEx. Um, any? Okay, we have a few callers. Uh, caller, you are unmuted. Can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear okay. me? Okay. Yes. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Dr. Emily Murase. I serve as executive director of the Japantown Tax Force, which has for over 20 years dedicated itself to the planning and preservation of San Francisco Japantown so that it will thrive into the next 117 years. I would like to commend the design team for its quickest work and diligent efforts to incorporate feedback from the public. Uh, JTF convenes public meetings monthly under the auspices of the Peace Plaza Committee, co-chaired by John Osaki and Rich Hashimoto. All of these meetings are open to the public, with meeting agendas and minutes available publicly at the Japantown Task Force website. In addition, JTF has hosted two community briefings on the Peace Plaza in the last six months. I recruited a team of four university interns to go door to door to conduct outreach on the Peace Plaza renovation plan. On September 20th, we updated the community on draft renderings like the ones you've just seen. And on February 28th, uh, discussed specific cultural elements. I just want to register my support for these designs and uh, provide an overview of ways in which we have been inviting the public to review them. Thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, sorry, I just lowered someone's hand. I didn't mean to. I think it was John. So if you can raise your hand again. Uh, Rob, can you hear us? Hello. Hello. This is this is Rob Con. One of the oh, sorry, go ahead. I want to talk about one of the stated goals for this project, which is to incorporate significant cultural elements included in the original design. Um, the, I don't see where the man-made porcelain tiles are incorporating that. Whereas in the Japanese culture, stones and natural materials are often used to represent the beauty and simplicity of nature. Natural granite. Being a naturally occurring mineral would be a great choice. It's uh, in the um, it, it often is reflected in a Japanese worldview to celebrate the beauty and perfection of nature. It, it I think it's important to consider the cultural significance and symbolism associated with natural materials while also balancing the practicality and durability. You know, the most important element is for us to choose and align the overall aesthetic and message we want to convey in the Peace Plaza. And porcelain tiles are a fairly new man-made product. I think they come with a five-year warranty. 
their major ingredient is imported from China. It's kale and clay. The um, granite is basically the definition of durability. Aesthetic-wise, it has a unique and stunning appearance. It comes in a variety of colors and patterns, and its natural texture and veining can't be replicated in porcelain tiles. Sustainability-wise, natural granite is an eco-friendly, sustainable material that is quarried from earth and can be recycled or repurposed. Porcelain tiles, on the other hand, have synthetic materials in their manufacturing that are not sustainable. And of course, natural granite is relatively easy to maintain and, and lasts for centuries. I don't see the weight factor being a big issue if you're talking about putting you have 30 seconds. Four inches of lightweight concrete underneath the porcelain tiles, where if you just use two inch thick granite, that would be unnecessary. That's all I have to say. Thank you, caller. Um, I would like to, to comment on that. Um, he made some valid points, I think. And, um, and you said you've had 60 neighborhood meetings. So surely this came up before and it's not new. So I would like to hear your response. Absolutely. The, um, the uh, slate flaking tiles is a problem for everyone and they brought it up a number of times. We did a lot of analysis in terms of the uh, trying to use natural materials and the weight is prohibited. You know, and so that's one of the reasons that we went with porcelain. It was um, a material that we have found to be durable and it gives that simulation. Um, our cultural advisor, who I, I expect to be able to call in as well, was the one who directed us to go into that particular direction because of its look, because of the ability to have some subtle paving pattern within it, and, um, and because of its durability as well. And, and even though it's considered to be thin, it's highly, it's just, anyway, I can just say that we've, we've looked at so many other options and this was the best one for the, the feel of the space. Well, it, it seems that your cultural advisor has, has approved this. So that was, was my main concern was the cultural aspect. So what's proposed is three quarters inch. It's not um, a very thin, um, porcelain tile. And just for the record, um, he said granite and not slate. Sl slate would certainly be inappropriate, but granite is much more durable. Oh, I mean, that's existing right now is slate. So oh, everyone yeah. responds to, hey, can you make it better than that's there? And and I'm like, it, it was not a really good solution to begin with. So yes, we, we looked at natural stone and granite as one of them. And it was just, um, you know, weight wise, it was problematic. Yeah. Well, that's certainly a major concern. It was because we would have to um, accommodate a particular material and then lose the weight of some, you know, some trees, which are important cultural elements and the planting that goes with it. Okay. Well, I, I look forward to hearing what your cultural advisor says when he's on the line. Great. Any other commissioner responses to that? All right. Next caller. Good afternoon, uh, commissioners. My name is Richard Hashimoto. 
I'm one of the co-chairs of the Japantown Peace Plaza renovation project. And, you know, I just want to say uh, this is the project that's been in the works for over seven years. Um, and the design you see currently is a design that the community opposed, actually. We all opposed it. There's nothing subtle about the current design. And it was uh, designed by a, uh, a BART concrete designer um, who designs uh, BART stations. So, you know, I was, the community was really pleased and happy to hear that this is a purely community-driven project. And uh, a lot of our um, uh, comments and um, items that we want are in this current design. And I urge you to please uh, approve it. I do want to touch something that Commissioner Car Carney had mentioned about lighting up the spire. Uh, there are light fixtures uh, on top of the last tier, the rooftop tier of the pagoda. Those light bulbs just burnt out. Uh, they're the old incandescent type of light bulbs. And with the modern technology, uh, probably uh, LED lighting light bulbs can be placed in there, which are longer lasting than incandescents. Uh, I do want to take uh, this time to thank Recreation Park Department, Public Works, RHAA, Macchiato Designs uh, for all coming to this point. And I urge you to please, commissioners, um, I urge you to please approve the design. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Uh, next caller. Can you hear us? Can you guys hear me well? Yes. Okay, hi. Uh, I am the uh, cultural design advisor. Uh, my name is Masahiro Inoue. Uh, yeah, I've been working with the design team and yeah, including Jeremy uh, recently joined the team. Uh, we've been really closely working uh, together and it's been a great public uh, Yeah design process and yeah we all are yeah, really proud of our work and I, I yeah i just want the commissioners i just wanted to yeah say thank you to the to the team and also yeah going to the details so about the doors and papers you know initially of course you know, i'm originally from japan too i i, I was born and raised there um, and uh, you know the natural stone is really important feature, and I I I really I wish we could we could do, but really there's a weight limitation here um, on the structure, and yeah, so we did a deep deep research and look 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 at different companies, and yeah, so we basically landed with this porcelain tile. So porcelain tile technology is really advanced now these days. And you you would have maybe even notice if this is a porcelain tile or natural uh, stone. And so we just, yeah, I just wanted to really make sure that we don't, we didn't want to go, you know, precast concrete pavers or concrete paving. So this is the um, ultimate only option we can we can save this you know natural looking um surface that's that was the final decision we had to we had to make um and then for the lighting i i was actually during this call i was looking at different 
uh, photos by typing in the Japanese and, and, and checking out the pagoda, it's called the Goju no Po, and looking at the different lighting. And there was no photo I was able to find. The roof was lit. lit. So I was, I was wondering if you can show us an example. And then also that in general, the Gojunoto is like that the people cannot look much about the roof. So the detail and, and the, the best part of the, the future is, you know, the looking from the detail from the underneath the, the actual roof. Yeah, 30 seconds. Um, so normally the lighting is kind of lit up and, and kind of people look up the, the pagoda. That's it in general. That's my understanding. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you, caller. Caller, can you hear us? Yes, I can. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, my name is John Osaki. I am the other co-chair of the Japantown Peace Plaza Committee. And uh, I really want to focus my comments today on the, the history of the plaza and I spoke to this a little bit the last time, but uh, as many of you may know that uh, this plaza, when it was first uh, designed and built, it really was at the expense of our community. Um, people who lived, um, had businesses on that very space were forcibly evicted from that space. And, this, and the plaza was built um, and acquired um, by the city of San Francisco. And since that time, since the late 1960s, that plaza has never represented what the Japantown community wanted for that space. And so this is the first time in over five decades where this project, this renovation of the space was entirely driven by the Japantown community. And I also want to commend the Recreation and Park Department and the Department of Public Works and others who worked very hard to listen to us, to take into consideration our concerns um, and what we wanted for that space. And I will say very honestly, uh, working with us was not always the easiest. Um, it would have been far easier for them to develop what they thought that space should be, but that was not the spirit by which this project was, in, was brought forward. Uh, in this particular iteration. And so I just want to, as someone who's from a community who historically has been told where we could live, where we couldn't live, what we could own, um, I really want to encourage you all with all due respect to some of the previous comments. And, I, and I'm all for those that can add value um, and add to what this project could be. But this for the first time ever, in San Francisco, Japantown truly represents what the community wants. And I, I really want to emphasize that point. Now, we could not do everything that everybody wanted, but honestly, no project can. And I think that we have done the best to listen, to incorporate every possible idea we could. The el cultural elements that were shown yeah, today seconds. were actually um, voted on by members who attended a meeting to review those different options. So I really uh, want to ask you all to support this project, to respect the community and the process we went through and help us get uh, this plaza built in a way that we've been waiting for for over 50 years. 
Thank you very much. Thank you, caller. Caller, can you hear me? Hello? Yes. Hi, my name is Susie Kagami. I am the Japantown Cultural District Manager and actually the staff um, assigned to the Peace Plaza project. And I just wanted to um, just share what a great experience it has been with our community working with the Peace Plaza committee, as well as the design team um, and all the consultants. We've been working very, very closely. And what you see uh, today is really a really amazing collaboration between both the community and city uh, city agencies. So just wanted to amplify that um, because I think it's really important. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, we have no more virtual public comment. Public comment is now closed. All right, thank you very much. I think we're ready for a motion. Commissioners, are you ready? We're, after hearing all of that, do you have further comments or discussion items? All right, then do we have a motion to approve phases two and three of the Japanese Peace Plaza? So moved. So oh, this is Commissioner Brenzel. So moved. Second, Commissioner Schneer. Okay. All in favor say yay. Opposed, nay. All in favor? Yay. yay. Okay, it passes unanimously. Thank you to the team for your presentation. Thank you for bringing the community on board. All right, do we need a break by chance? Okay. All right, then item number four, the Buchanan Street Mall Small Project Review, phases two and three. This project has been previously reviewed on, a, on May 16th, 2022. Project team, are you ready to present? Team, you have 20 minutes to present your project. I will start a timer once you begin, and I will give you a 30-minute warning when your time is almost up. Thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners. Thank you all for being here. Um, very happy to be presenting to you all again on Buchanan Street Mall. Um, just going to dive right in and explain a little more along the way. Do I just touch it? Yeah, there we go. There are a lot of people involved with the Buchanan Street Mall Renovations Project team. So we have here today Winnie Chang from San Francisco Public Works Landscape Department. And we also are collaborating extensively on this project with the Public Utilities Commission and the Trust for Public Land and a variety of local community benefit organizations and nonprofits in the Western Edition. We are just south of the Japantown Peace Plaza that we were just discussing. And I'm happy to be here in the Western Edition on another project that has extensive community engagement embedded in all aspects of the design. 
So as was mentioned in the introduction, um, we were here in May of 2022. We were actually also here in September of 2021. So um, this this project has, sorry, can you all hear me? I feel like I'm in and out. Yes, okay, okay. Uh, okay, thank you. Okay, great. Thank you for clarifying. So um, we, the project received concept level approval from the Recreation and Parks Commission in April of 2020. And we used that concept plan that was driven by community, community vision and these very ambitious project goals to seek funding and have been coming to you to present this small project in several stages as funding has allowed us to develop the design block by block. I just wanna read our project goals here. Safety, lighting and beautification, connecting all five blocks and unifying the community, telling the story of the community and the neighborhood, social interaction and multi-generational recreation, skills training and jobs creation, and stormwater management and urban greening. So September, 2021, we brought you Turk to Golden Gate block. In May, 2022, we did an overview of the entire concept plan and presented on the paving palette, site furnishings, um, the planting palette, lighting, and the these elements of the design vocabulary that will carry through and be consistent across all five blocks of the mall. We also presented in May 2022 on the McAllister to Fulton and the Eddy to Turk blocks. So today, Winnie will be presenting on um, our central and southernmost blocks, Golden Gate to McAllister, which had a programmatic theme of bar basketball and barbecue and Fulton to Grove with a theme around garden, gardening and community gathering. I just wanna give you a heads up that we will be coming back to you in May for, um, a, for presentation and your comments and hopefully approval on the Memory Walk, which is envisioned as an Afrocentric outdoor art gallery and is currently being designed by Studio MLA in collaboration with the Fillmore community. And then we will likely come back again in the fall funding pending for uh, micro enterprise kiosks, which we are hoping to place in the middle three blocks to support our equity action goals and promote entrepreneurship in the neighborhood. So with that overview, I'm gonna pass it off to Winnie. Thanks, Lauren. So zooming into the concept plan for McAllister Golden Gate block, this is our basketball and barbecue theme block. So um, programs here include a full-size basketball court, grills, the memory walk as the main circulation path, string lights over the plaza, a micro-enterprise kiosk, and new lighting. In our Grove Fulton block, um, this is the concept that was improved, which features a main lawn, tables and chairs, the memory walk, and a communal garden area. And here's a look at existing conditions at the McAllister Golden Gate block. The top left photo is of an existing sculpture to remain at the McAllister entry. The top right photo shows 
the lawn extending into the Ella Hill Hutch Center. Bottom left shows existing half court basketball and bottom right is the Golden Gate entry. Existing conditions for Grove to Fulton block. Uh, top left photo shows the northern entry from Fulton. Uh, top right shows the existing playground. Bottom left shows the playground from the small lawn to the south. And the bottom right shows that small lawn and the adjacent properties fence and parking lot beyond. Um, yeah, so this fence creates a dead end at this end of the mall. Moving into our material palettes, uh, the paving, lighting, furnishings, and planting palettes I'll share in the next few slides are a continuation of the material palettes that are already approved for our other blocks to create cohesiveness through the mall. But I'll be sure to point out any new elements that we are introducing for these blocks. So as you can see for the paving palette, we are um, bringing in again the pervious concrete with our color palette selection below that. And onto our lighting palette, uh, we'll have uh, pedestrian pole lighting uh, throughout both blocks. Catenary lighting over the plaza at the McAllister Golden Gate block and recessed ambient lighting under our seat wall benches. Moving on to furnishings, um, this might look familiar. Uh, we'll have seat walls over uh, concrete walls, um, picnic tables made of metal and wood, drinking fountains and bottle fillers, uh, bottom left should say benches, <laughs> uh, cafe tables, grills, and uh, hexagonal planters. And now I want to point out that image on the top right, which is a new element we will be introducing at the Grove uh, Fulton block. Uh, this is a planter screen product that we would use as a, a visual screening element at the southern end of the block. Uh, the manufacturer who creates this product also creates the table and the hexagonal planters also seen on this page. Um, uh, onto our trees, so uh, we are uh, we have a selection of oaks and uh, Toyon and Catalina Ironwood. Um, we are trying to, we, we've selected a climate adaptive and native plants. And onto our planting palette for our different uh, typologies. Rain garden plants with some yarrow, some rush, sedges. Um, and in our uh, native, low, native and low water use planting, some manzanita, fuchsia, sedges. And in our community garden areas, some sage, lavender, mint, and some veggies and herbs. So trying to introduce some seasonal color and some different uh, textures in these palettes. And here are some precedent imagery for the rain gardens on both blocks. Rain gardens were not a part of the original concept plans, but will be integrated into these blocks and um, our other blocks as we have shown in the past. Uh, these will capture and treat stormwater coming off of the right-of-ways. And here we have our site programming and circulation diagram for McAllister Golden Gate. Uh, Ella Hill Hutch to the west, 
Frederick, uh, Frederick Douglas Haynes apartments to the east, McAllister to the south, and Golden Gate to the north. Um, rain gardens are designed into both ends of the block. Uh, memory walk serves as primary circulation across the site. Um, uh, the full court basketball plaza area here, and we are introducing a terrace at this location, which I'll go into more detail in a second. Uh, we are also um, being sure to keep all uh, existing uh, access points to the Frederick Douglas Haynes Apartments and the Ella Hill Hutch Center. So here is a rendered look at this plan. Um, so going from left to right, uh, well, actually the, here you see in, in beige is the memory walk. Um, Coming in from McAllister, this is our first rain garden. Uh, this white, or, yeah, this white square is our proposed location for the micro enterprise kiosk. This is that existing sculpture to remain. Um, moving into the site, we arrive at the plaza, which has picnic tables, um, grills, and this is the terrace that we are introducing. This would help uh, transition grades between Ella Hill Hutch Center and our site. It also serves, this little uh, turf extension serves as um, a way to protect the tree root zones of these existing redwoods up there. Um, and we are also studying the possibility of integrating pickleball court lines into the basketball court as a multi-sport court. Um, and we will be in incorporating some benches to the west here. Uh, and this is our other rain garden on the Golden Gate Avenue side. And here is an eye level rendering as a park user walking along the memory walk towards the plaza area. Ella Hill Hutch is seen in the background and, uh, yeah, so this area is uh, an existing stage. So this plaza would allow views towards that stage. Um, and uh, here you see that terrace that transitions between the two properties. And you can also see the rendering of the grills and the tables. And here is a view of the basketball court coming in from the Golden Gate Avenue entry. As you can see, we were able to fit in a full court and yeah, we will be keeping these existing access points to the adjacent property. Onto the Grove Fulton block. Again, here is our site programming and circulation diagram. Um, since this site is a dead end, people would be coming in from Fulton Street with the memory walk again as the primary circulation route. Uh, we have a gathering area at the entry, uh, the main lawn area in the, med in the middle, the, gar the gathering and program garden area in the back. Um, we will have a planted screen edge here because um, this is a parking garage at Banneker Homes. Um, tree, we will uh, keep trees along Ammo Park Co-op and uh, this uh, access into Ammo Park Co-op and, and this rain garden to, uh, along Fulton Street. 
And here is a rendered look of that plan. And I will just highlight differences between this plan and the concept plan. We, <clears throat> sorry, we decided to flip the community table as seen here to be oriented with views down the mall as preferred by the community. The communal, community gardens uh, feature the hexagonal planters we have been using on other blocks. This is the planted screen to the south, um, which screens, yeah, that uh, adjacent parking lot. And um, yeah, and here's the, the rain garden that will be off of Fulton. And here is an eye level view coming in from Fulton, looking south across the block. We can see the lawn, community table, and planted screen beyond. Trees on the right side provide that visual screening from the Banneker Homes parking garage. And you can see the, the, the little plaza gathering area just um, off of the entry. And this is our final slide. This is a view from the communal garden and table at the end of the block looking north towards the rest of the mall. Thank you. Thank you very much. Commissioners, your comments? Um, First of all, um, I really enjoy every time you come back to us with this project because I think it's a wonderful project and I've gone by it so many times and, and walked by and um, seen what needs to be done. So I'm just very excited on what you're going to do and I think it'll be just be a huge, wonderful addition for the community. I couldn't be happier to see that happen. Um, I did have a couple of questions. How are you going to make uh, usage of or have the community make usage of the community gardens? How is that going to work? Thank you for asking. We are um, working on a collaboration between our Rec and Park Urban Agriculture Program that has a communal garden pro piece to it. So um, most of our community gardens are um, specific plots per person. And the communal garden is a partnership between our urban agriculture department and some other organization that helps facilitate access to those spaces and communal care of those spaces. So we've been working with Community Grows, which is a nonprofit that is based out of um, Ella Hill Hutch and has existing programs with youth and elders in the community. And so we're working with them um, and the Trust for Public Land and Citizen Film, another local organization now on some pilots. And we're gonna have a design charrette for like what to plant exactly in those communal gardens pretty soon with the with the kiddos oh, that sounds great um i also had a comment about what um you have some public art there that you're uh resurfacing and stuff but i noticed in the application that uh there's uh no uh two percent for public art can you uh, explain that yeah, um, that's just the policy because there's no, this is an existing park and we're not adding a building. Right. So the 2% for public art doesn't apply. Um, however, the community is very interested in art in this space. And um, so when we bring you the memory walk, we will also be sharing um, 
we'll, we'll be sharing locations that are appropriate for public art and are um, carefully coordinating um, with the with the Arts Commission on a RFQ process for future artwork along the memory walk. Great. Thanks. I was going to let you go first since you're more familiar with the project. <laughs> and then I'll, if there's anything else and I'll. All right. Actually, it turns out um, this project predates me, so I'm not that familiar with it. So I yeah, learned I was a lot. I going to say that bo <laughs> both of you. Have All three of us. Oh, okay. All three of you. Yeah, I'm the only one here that's an old timer. <laughs> okay. So to add a fresh eye, I do have some observations. Um, I did notice that four huge trees um, are being taken out at the south end of the um, larger portion. Um, are those trees diseased or that's where your um, your um, rain area will be? Was it taken out for that reason or are those trees problematic? They look like huge Monterey pines. Yeah, they're not Monterey pines, but they are pines and they are, um, that's somewhat core to the concept plan driven by the community was to remove visual obstructions in the middle of the mall. Um, and there's also a sewer in that part of the mall that we need to have trees not be over. Um, however, we, we, are, we are planting other, other trees that are more climate appropriate and um, better for maintenance of the space, dropping less needles and um, posing less risk. So we have we actually have a tree assessment underway just to just to confirm the health of most of the trees on the side, but we were going to assess some of the trees in the middle as well. Okay. Yeah. Great. Well, all of that makes sense. <clears throat> Your rain garden precedent photos are really beautiful, and um, I hope they can really be that way. I didn't quite. I got a few hints of it in some of your renderings. But if and another aspect of those is there are is some permeable paving going through them. They're kind of like blocks at, at, at the entrances in some ways, hmm. and people have to steer around them. What if you had some permeable paving right through them so people could take a shortcut through it? Because they're going to take a shortcut regardless, but that might help. I could speak to that a little unless you want to take a stab. Okay, so. Um, the the rain gardens are um gosh what's the word they're lower they're a lower elevation in order to allow for ponding so we did explore um having some bridges over like in that top center photo in the top left photo where there's a bit of a boardwalk over in order to provide um, more direct access However, you think about it, the way that the mall is laid out as a former street, there are sidewalks, there's crosswalks at the former sidewalks on the side. And so we do have pathways that come in from those entry points. And um, so we're, we've been sort of weighing with our operations team whether or not it makes sense to have a footpath over. And I actually don't think, I think maybe we have it in another block, but not. On these blocks, not, I don't, not on these blocks. Yeah, not not on these blocks. Um, and uh, the other thing in terms of how they look, um, we've gone through extensive conversations and back and forth, and have a huge maintenance matrix with the Public Utilities Commission. is very important to wreck and park. Well, first of all, this is the first time that 
Rec and Park is accepting stormwater from the streets and treating it on park property. It's kind of remarkable that it's Wonderful. 2023 and this is the first time, but um, but it is, and it's taken a lot of back and forth because we have very high standards for park maintenance and cleanliness and cleaning out these places. And um, so we're taking ownership of the surface level maintenance with the plants um, and debris pickup. And the PUC has responsibility for that deeper infrastructure and piping. Okay. It still seems that it might be possible to have a, because seven or eight months, well, actually more, usually we don't have rain. This year is exceptional. Anyway, just a thought. And the bridge idea was, would be lovely. A lot of children are in there. I've been through it twice. Even in the drizzle yesterday, there were a few people in it. Um, the tennis court on the larger block, I mean, the um, the basketball court, I noticed right next to that are three tennis courts that are seem to be abandoned. Are they, they're not under your purview? They're not. That's real estate property managed um, at Ella Hill Hutch by Collective Impact. And actually, um, I heard recently that they are working to resurface those courts and get them active again, but it's not Rec and Park purview. Okay. So the tennis court, I mean, the basketball court does have to go there. Right now there's a half a court, but to make it a full court, it pushes it up fairly close to those um, apartment windows. So the circulation has to go right by the windows and there'll probably be a big fence around the basketball court. Anyway, um, just something to think about that it's near their windows. That's your um, your honor walk, I believe. Yeah, um, we can show you the rendering we are not proposing uh, maybe this is the best no fence yeah we're not proposing a fence on the east or west sides of the court um just a fence on the behind the north and south basketball hoops so people walking by will be going right by those apartments on the left Yes, correct, like they do currently. That's the current uh, circulation pattern there at the mall. Well, I walked right down the middle since there was a half a court. Anyway, so you've had a lot of community input and they, there were no complaints. Yeah, I, I just to interrupt, I, I love that. I just, is that realistic? I'm not a big basketball player, but are the balls gonna be flying around and then they're gonna put some ugly fence there later? Just a question, I don't, I mean, you guys would know better than me, but. Um, do you wanna to speak to that? I'm gonna... That never came up. No, I don't. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. We haven't heard any complaints. Yeah. Okay. And then I, I generally bring up maintenance concerns as well. And if there's a budget to to address all of that, I don't live too far from here, and a lot of it's in bad shape. Granted, it's been there for for many decades, but you know, kids and adults do a lot of damage. Um, the metal benches, the outdoor tables with their wood inserts and the wooden benches, you know, they're all beautiful, but will they stay that way? Um, all of it, they're all terrific and they should be there just so you have a, a way to maintain it. Um, we don't want to be deferred by vandalism, but you know, it, it happens. So do you yeah. have spare parts, et cetera? Right. Yeah, definitely. You see, we'll take care of that. Well, um, as far as the rain gardens go, there's a mix of maintenance responsibilities, um, but for the rain gardens and all the rest of the mall, Rec and Park does, um, we do have our structural maintenance yard with regular, well, let me just start at the beginning. So day-to-day um, -day 
maintenance of our parks by our custodians and our gardeners. And as we're developing these plans, um, I'm actually working with our folks in the operations division to calculate new staffing requirements for the improved park space because we do have more landscape areas than currently exist and it takes longer to weed uh, you know a habitat garden hedgerow bed than it does to mow a area of lawn that's currently there or do nothing with mulch that's currently there so um so we are accounting for that in our future operations budgets that we will need additional staffing um, also on day-to-day -day operations we're exploring some other op options with our equity action initiative for um, and related to the memory walk for ambassadors to partner with community organizations to have more people in the park um, and with the micro enterprise kiosks more activation in the park just to prevent vandalism um, and then we also have our structural maintenance yard which if there is graffiti or if there is some other um, issue that our operations everyday's team can't handle, then they'll come out and address it fairly quickly. Some of the wood, the wood pieces you might have to replace for carvings, et cetera. Yes, and those are specifically designed with our structural maintenance yard to make sure that it's easy to replace one board right. and you don't have to replace the whole thing. That's what I figured. Yeah. Okay. Then regarding the um, the Folsom half block at the end, at the end. Um, there's a play yard there. Granted, I wasn't here for your other um, presentations, so maybe you've moved that somewhere else because currently that play yard is being replaced by um, by a grassy area. And while I was there yesterday, even in the drizzle, um, a little boy and his mother came out and the boy wanted to get on the swings and get in the sand, et cetera. So, um, it's going to be a few blocks down or is it just going to there were swings that he wanted to get into yeah so there's currently three playgrounds on buchanan street mall and in the approved concept plan that was condensed to two play areas um, i know right now that playground at the south end has a little more use because the play area in amal park is being renovated um, but there are play areas in most all of the housing developments around the mall as well okay. as the two that'll playgrounds that'll be built in this space. Okay. All right. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Other commissioners. Um, since we have that rendering up, um, I just, um, uh, even it, like, I feel maybe this is like too early or not, not relevant at this point, but I just feel like even if there's like a blind person walking on that path, there's going to have to be some kind of, uh, texture. Uh, difference between the basketball court and the concrete uh, sidewalk. And I'm just worried this is such a great rendering. And believe me, I know renderings are just renderings, but just that it's not retrofitted, that we don't have to go back and retrofit it, you know, because that never works. So there's something, I just have a feeling that there's going to be something that needs to happen there um, between people flying around playing basketball and balls and little kids and wheelchairs and people with canes. Anyway, just a question. And then, um, Another question about the furniture. Uh, do you have a lot of different configurations of tables or uh, are they, or do you have multiple configurations or, or are they mostly the kind of the picnic table rectangles? And I, I missed yeah. that. Oh, uh, yeah, we would, we're mainly using two types. Okay. Um, let me flip over to that. So then there's that, that square. Oh, uh -huh. I think it needs to load. There we go. There, it had, there's on the, on the second row, 
to the on the second one, the second row, that's one of the configurations, uh -huh. square tables. And uh -huh. the one above, we are using that too. Uh -huh. And then for that extra long table, you see about Grove Fulton, it would just be this kind of, a, um, you know, stacked on top, uh, stacked by each other, yeah, to, by one, each other. to make one long table. Yeah. So, and that might be fine and it totally could work with the, you know, how the mall, it's, you know, it's a terrific design. Um, one thing to consider is, you know, people come in, in singles and doubles and triples and families. And so, you know, sometimes when you have uh, round tables or, you know, lots of different types of tables and it's uh, less institutional, I, I don't mean to, just a thought, you know, just, and maybe the community wants this in particular, but, um, and then also uh, the opportunity uh, of bringing in another level of interaction with the furniture. Uh, you know, sometimes when we have a, you know, particular budget, we try and have the most bang for your buck. And again, I don't know if it's appropriate, but you know, something as simple as, uh, you know, integrating a chess game into, into the top of the table. And again, I don't, I don't know if that's like not something that no one wants or it's, you know, too specific, but is there an opportunity to do more with the furniture? Um, and then I guess, and again, this has probably gone through the community, but there's something about the furniture and its heaviness that feels, uh, I mean, I love the wood. Um, I don't know. There's something, you know, when in Golden Gate Park, they have the, the Adirondack chairs. Are you familiar with those? And I actually went up and I was like, can I move these? <laughs> and then when I was able to move it, it was something that gave me a lot of spirit and, and that trust in me. And I, uh, as, a, you know, somebody was able to use the park and move the furniture around. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. You know, again, I know, believe me, I know all the things that you folks have to um, consider and and the community um, that has commented on this, but uh, and then one last thing, um, if you could go to the rendering that has a kind of spiky fences on it, I don't know if that's part of the housing community uh, or those are existing. Yes, those are existing. Okay. Ammo Park. Okay, okay, that's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. Thank you. That was great. Lovely, lovely, lovely needed project. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for your comments and questions. I just want to respond quickly that um, we'll explore your concern about that basketball court um, more extensively. Thank you. Um, tables, the community has really weighed in on wanting clusters of tables. So that's, that's, uh, okay. we're responding to that in the design. That's great. And then just on the movable furniture part. I hear you and everybody actually does really love it and our funding sources prohibit oh, okay. items that aren't fixed in the space. But it is a potential with um, these micro kiosks uh -huh. to have like folding tables and chairs that can come out for activation. Sure, sure. This, oh, go ahead. Well, while, while this slide is up, this final slide reminds me where the mall ends, where the, that unfortunate parking lot is. It's too bad they can't take over the parking lot and finish the mall. But since it is there, that uh, bench with the sort of screening system is, is really helpful. It was. Yeah, good job, Wendy. Thank you for that. <laughs> it is really nice. It's a nice find. Um, this is Commissioner Brenzel. I really like it. I'm very new to this process and this project. Um, I just had a couple of questions. One, uh, 
and this may have been handled before restrooms are there there's no restrooms anywhere in the mall or are there is that and that's not possible i assume um the second question i had is i don't understand the interaction between the ella hill hutch and that one spot could you just just so i understand because you talked about it as like a stage or something and I, I don't know if we can look at that and just yeah this is oh Uh, yeah, what we this white massing in the back is Ella Hill Hutch Center. They do have just an existing stage up here, and this is, uh, yeah, they they got a pathway here and then a lawn, and um, the lawn is kind of elevated. It ranges from like you know half a foot to maybe a foot foot and a half um, higher than uh, our park. So that's why we are introducing a bit of a terraced area to help transition those those grades between these two properties. Got it. And so they'll be from in the community, they'll be able to use kind of both spaces. They'll kind of flow seamlessly into each other. That seems really exciting, actually. Mm. Yeah. And this is just one example of the legacy of redevelopment and um, city property being owned by different departments. So we're we're trying to work with real estate to, mm. you know, put on paper agreements around what's happening at this property edge. Mm. Um, but make the with the driving, you know, really holding in center, how do we make this like a functional, beautiful, welcoming space for the community? Because when you're there, it's just one space. Great. That's wonderful. Thank you for the answer. And the last question I have, maybe just maybe not for this meeting or just thinking, this seems like a great park along Buchanan that turned into a street or it turned the street into a park. Are there other projects like this in San Francisco? Do we have other streets like this? And where will there be more of these? Anyhow, that's maybe a, more of a, a rhetorical question. <laughs> I'm not aware of another park like this, um, but there might be. Yeah, and I don't know of plans, but there might be. <laughs> Thank you, commissioners. So is there any public comment? in person and then via webex we will be taking in-person public comment first for those joining remotely please raise your hand if you are listening via webex if you are calling by phone press star three to be placed in the queue please press only once since pressing it more than once remove you from the queue we are currently on item four as a reminder your time will start when you begin speaking you will see a visual timer if you're listening via WebEx, and you've been given an audible, a 30 second audible warning. You'll be muted once your time is up. However, if you, you may stay on the line if you wish to speak on other items on the agenda. Anyone who speaks during public comment at today's meeting can supply a brief written message or a summary of the comment to be included in the minutes if it's 150 words or less at paris.coats at sfgov.org. Okay, looking for in-person public comment. Okay, no in-person public comment at the time. Oh. I see no additional public comments public comments is now closed thank you okay do we have a motion um, to approve small project review phases two and three for the buchanan street mall 
So moved, Commissioner Schneer. Second, Commissioner Brenzel. We will be voting yay or nay. All in favor? Yay. 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 Thank you, Commissioners. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. The motion passes unanimously. All right, do we need a break or should we go to item number five? Don't. You don't break, okay. All right. All right, we'll move on to item number five, and that is the review of the conceptual project proposal for the brand new 11th and Natoma Park. This is the first time this project has been reviewed Design team, are you ready? We're ready. Okay. <clears throat> 20 minutes. 20 minutes, okay. Let me pull that. Oh, I see. How do we pull this up? Jimmy, are you up there? Maybe just oh, slide it you just slide it. Got it. Um, hi, commissioners. My name is Alex Schicknecht. Good to see you in person. Uh, if I've met you and um, good to meet you for the first time. I'm project manager with Recreation and Parks Department. Um, I'm joined by my design lead, Lawrence Cuevas, with uh, Bureau of Landscape Architecture and Public Works. Um, yeah, we are really excited to be bringing this project to you for a full review. This is uh, phase one of the full review. Um, this is a, a project that's going to impact a lot of people, and it's it's in an important neighborhood. And um, you know, it's it's really in our neighborhood as well. So Can I that just part's exciting as well. Pause for a second with a question. If I thought this, it says it's conceptual. So is this is phase one? It's uh, conceptual. This is conceptual okay. review. Yeah. All right. So again, that's us. Um, and here, this is our project location here. You can see on the right, um, it consists of these five, uh, these five buildings currently, these five properties, which um, are bounded by 11th Street uh, on the south. That's kind of our, our main arterial. And then Natoma Street and Minna on the uh, east and west. And those are smaller residential um, one-way streets, uh, much more quiet. Um, it's about half an acre, so pretty good size. Um, it's bounded on the north, actually, that, that parking lot that you can see there is now filled with uh, a residential building. Yeah, exactly, thank you. Um, and the building on the west, which uh, Lawrence will describe this more in detail, but um, that building is staying. It's currently a, um, a dojo called 11th Street Dojo. Um, we're in planning and concept design. We're at the pl at the end of uh, planning design. And uh, as far as the schedule goes, you see those TBD, TBD, TBD for design um, and bidding and construction. We're actually waiting for uh, funding to land um, because a lot of this project will be funded through development impact fees. And as you all know, um, development has slowed down a little bit. Um, but we fully expect those fees to come through and for this project to continue. Um, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll also just mention that um, so that this these properties were identified because this is um, a really important node, which is um, identified as a high needs area. So there's really a lack of open space in this neighborhood. Um, from you know a five minute walk from this place, you would you would really find a dearth of uh, open spaces. 
Um, it's also really booming over the next decade. You're going to see um, tens of thousands of new housing units coming online with uh, families and all kinds of people. Um, so as far as community outreach to date, uh, we just held our fourth community meeting recently. Um, and that's after three community meetings um, and about 900 surveys that were filled out um, in total from the community uh, and meeting with other community partners like Soma Pilipinas and um, Soma West CBD uh, and uh, the ARC, which is uh, which serves disability, disabled uh, adults, which is right around the corner. Um, yeah, next slide. Yeah, um, the project goals um, pretty pretty basic, but very important to promote neighborhood connection by creating a space to serve diverse and multi generational community through a variety of park programs, to connect people to nature by increasing everyday access to nature, and uh, as as you'll know, this is a very dense urban environment, so that's extremely important here, and to design for sustainability by creating a park that is climate appropriate, ecologically valuable. Uh, maintainable and long-lasting. And from there, I will hand it over to Lawrence. Great. Uh, thanks, Alex, and thank you, commissioners. Um, good afternoon. Uh, so before we go into the actual proposed design for this new park, uh, it's always useful to just ground ourselves in the site and understand the context of it. And so that's kind of what we did with our first community meeting. It was really introducing the, the community to the site and then also listening to their kind of goals dreams, concerns about this uh, potential park project. And so first we'll start with the site context. We'll just look at some really high level sort of historic information. So on the right, you can see our site location indicated on our current city, um, San Francisco. On the left, you see it in the pre-urbanized condition of the land that we're on. Similarly, uh, this next slide just on the right has a really high level uh, overview of major historical events that had local, regional, international um, impacts, but we're really interested in kind of just seeing how it impacted the area. So originally, the, the inhabitants of the area are the Ramatish Ohlone. The site ecology consisted of dune scrub and sand dunes. Um, the, the, found, the founding of Mission Dolores and uh, missions across San Francisco really heralded the start of an area of Spanish colonization, which really brought a lot of change. You know, jumping forward, Gold Rush brought, again, more people and um, resources, and that also spurred the construction of Mission and Folsom Streets on either side of our park area. Um, to connect that Mission Dolores area to the downtown um, kind of economic engine of San Francisco. Fast forward again to the earthquake and fire. We saw major devastation in the area of our park, but we also saw a lot of rebuilding. A lot of the buildings kind of around the area actually do date back to um, that area of the decades following the earthquake. So again, looking at the same timeline, just with some images associated with it, you know, it is really interesting to think as we fast forward again today, we are seeing major change in this area. As Alex noted, land use changes, development patterns are gonna be bringing a lot more people, families, et cetera, into the area. And with that growth, the need for open space for parks um, and just uh, green spaces for people is even more important than ever. So really this park is an opportunity for us to once again have positive transformational change in this area. 
Um, so with that in mind, we can look at the site again. Um, here it is outlined in teal. Uh, on the image on the left, you can see two gray radii at uh, circles. The darker image is a five minute, uh, I'm sorry, a 10 minute walking or a pedestrian access radius. And then the larger, lighter gray is a 20 minute distance. Within that, we have these six uh, closest parks. Victoria Manalo Drives Park is the furthest. It's about 15 minutes, uh, but the rest are within 10 minutes. And so it's really important to look at the context of the existing parks to understand what's already being provided in the neighborhood, understand what gaps there are. And so that really helps us inform, um, or it really helps inform our work with the community to understand what we can best do with our site. Um, this next slide shows that same teal outline um, in a bit of an aerial view. So as Alex noted, one side of the park is bounded by 11th Street, which is a really busy, loud, you know, kind of a high traffic corridor. It's bounded by Minna and Natoma Street, which are smaller residential scale mixed work type one-way streets. Um, and then we will be sharing a border with existing uh, housing on one side of the park. Um, this is that little uh, existing building that will remain on the site. There it is. Uh, so as we zoom in further, you can just get a better sense of the scale of the park here with some people and vehicles added. You also get a sense of the scale of the buildings that frame this open space. And here are some site images. So we've highlighted in red the buildings that are to be, to be demolished to make room for the park. This highlighted in yellow is an existing Akito Dojo. Uh, they've been really great partners in the outreach and they're, you know, we see them as really uh, a great partner um, in activating the future space. The images on the bottom, again, we've outlined in red the areas or the buildings to be demolished. And then you can also get a sense of the residential character of these smaller, more intimate streets. Looking at the sunshade conditions <laughs> throughout the year, uh, the good news is that we have great solar access at this park throughout the year. And when we actually combine all of those results, we can see that the center of the park is the best area for sun, especially this sort of back corner of the dojo. And so keep that in mind as we go over the design. Really, one of the big things that we considered were, were these sort of uh, climate uh, uh, factors. So the park concept design we'll go through next. Um, the images that you're going to see are sort of a compilation of plans, drawings, images that we shared with the community over our um, community meetings two, three, and four. Again, like I said, our first meeting was really just about listening to the community, um, walking them through the site itself, and then getting their feedback on what their desires were for the space. So based on that first meeting and after listening to the community, uh, this is kind of how we... Uh, walk them through the design approach. So first, what we knew was the site, which is outlined in black here. Based on that first listening meeting, we had a clear consensus from the community that there's a desire for trees and green here. Again, one of our project goals was to increase access to nature, and really the community uh, described the fact that this is a very hard um, environment and really just a, a desire for trees and green. What we didn't have consensus on, though, was what type of park amenities do we want to include? How do we make space for them? How much space do we allocate? And just generally 
carve out space within that green um, area for human use. Uh, from just discussions with the community, there was a, a wide range of desired programs. Um, you know, we did walk through to them uh, with them some of the site constraints that uh, made some of those desired programs, such as an off-leash dog area, simply not feasible within our site due to the size and um, other sort of uh, limitations, but based on our discussions, these are the programs that we looked at programming the site with. So one of the biggest sort of tensions that we kind of experienced with community uh, process was that there was sort of a kind of a, um, a need for a balance between active and tranquil uses. With the desire for trees and green, there were a large uh, amount of community members who really um, you know, valued the need for quiet seating, just a quiet respite from this hard urban environment. Also though, we know that with additional families moving into the area, the large amount of schools, and just our project goal of serving as diverse of a user group in this park as possible, um, elements such as a multi-sport court, children's play area, adult fitness, et cetera, were also desirable for the site. So we've arranged them on sort of a spectrum of more active and programmed to tranquil and unprogrammed. And we showed the community sort of three possible configurations of how we could program the site based on different priorities. So again, this is going on a spectrum from of more programmed and active to more tranquil and quiet. So on the left, you've got the plaza. This really dedicates the most amount of space to active uses. It's got a full-size multi-use sport court, a full a very large children's play area, and a small adult fitness area. And the result of dedicating that much space to those active uses was a relatively smaller amount of green and less space for sort of flexible community use. On the right, we've got the garden, which really prioritized um, landscape and also smaller, quiet, more intimate spaces for seating. Um, it actually omitted the multi-use sport court entirely. It still had a active or an adult fitness type use, but it decentralized it and just kind of set it into the landscape. And then it also had the smallest of the three concepts, uh, children's play area. In the center, we had the commons, which was sort of a, an attempt to balance the two approaches. It used a half-size multi-sport court with an adult fitness area directly next to it to provide a nice sort of social active adjacency. It has a medium-sized uh, children's play area. And because of the, the smaller active uses, we are able to fit more areas for green. And we did show sort of a, a small community gathering space. So we put this to the community. We asked, um, you know, through an online and through analog surveys, an additional uh, stakeholder outreach, we asked the community for their preferred direction. We asked them to rank these from first to last choice. Um, and the results after over 600 um, survey responses, again, online and through paper responses, which is a really great amount of feedback, really great enthusiasm and interest from the community. We saw that the garden had the most first choice votes and the comments had the most second choice votes. And it actually, the amount of second choice votes was larger than the amount of first choice votes for the garden. So we did see that, um, you know, there was sort of an interest in the, the two approaches. We did a deeper dive into the comments and, you know, there were really great comments that allowed us to have a little bit more nuance in the feedback. Um, and then we also did additional stakeholder outreach to understand how best to proceed. And so based on all of that, we started with the garden as our design framework, but we incorporated what people felt was the best idea from the commons, which was the smaller sort of active node. Combining all of those, we came up with our 
sort of synthesized concept, which we're calling the terraces. So here you can see that we've got those active uses oriented along 11th Street, which again is already an active, busy, loud street. They also help um, kind of provide sort of an active use, sort of uh, additional safety and just kind of community eyes on the park entrance to make sure that, um, you know, that the park doesn't um, start to accommodate negative activity which was important in this neighborhood. Um, we heard a lot of concerns about if there wasn't programming, would the park just simply get taken over? So um, by having those active uses directly at the park entrance, we think that serves a lot of different functions. So moving beyond the active terrace at the park entrance, the garden terrace is now located into the center of the park, which again, if you remember, this is really the prime sunspot. It's also um, you know tucked away from 11th Street and uh, it's just kind of more oriented to a more quiet area of the park. So we think that's really appropriate for garden type uses, which are really more oriented towards quiet uh, nature um, and individual to small group seating. And then finally, the play terrace has stayed where it always has. We always thought that this was an important orientation just due to the um, you have five minutes. Oh, okay, that's fine. Uh, just to the need for um, keeping children safe. We wanted to keep them tucked away from 11th Street and the park entrance. Finally, there is this area behind the Akito Dojo, um, which we've always sort of seen as uh, rec park maintenance access and rec park maintenance storage. Um, so that's how we kind of handled that site, which otherwise, you know, it can be a little bit tricky given that it's a little bit hidden. Um, so that is going to be the space for rec park gardeners to access the site for daily maintenance. And so what does this all look like on an actual designed plan? Uh, here we are with the concept design. So you can see those uh, kind of part T on the upper right. So again, at the park entrance, uh, which is on 11th Street, um, well, before you even enter the park, we did touch on the fact that you know, unfortunately, we don't have enough room in this park to accommodate an off-leash dog area, but we do know there are a lot of dogs. So we are providing a dog relief area outside of the park just to make sure that people coming to the park have an opportunity for their dog to do their business um, and therefore reduce the maintenance needs within the park. So as you enter, you are flanked on both sides by these active uses. We really see this multi-sport court as having just a lot of great community benefit. It can be used for flexible gatherings in addition to sports. You know, we can imagine the dojo students coming out here to stretch in the mornings or on laps etc as you move beyond that active terrace again here is a small community gathering space framed by a variety of types of seating from seat walls in both concave convex and straight orientations to allow for different sort of size groups to face each other for individuals to sit by themselves etc we've also got some small um, clustered picnic tables um, here on this side of the flexible plaza and then really the community or the the garden space is really uh, kind of intended to be for smaller gatherings, small groups, or individual use. So it could be a place to just have a conversation, to listen to a podcast or read a book, etc., and just generally be in a quiet uh, kind of nature-filled space. So we've got kind of individual benches, seat walls again, these individual picnic tables scattered throughout, and strolling paths throughout. One of the ideas was that you can sort of infinitely loop and just uh, kind of enjoy this park in a way that, you know, can kind of almost be mindless and allow you to escape your thoughts. Um, finally, well, not finally, uh, here is that children's play area um, with uh, two play structures, which were voted on by the community, um, as well as a nature exploration area, which provides a permeable link between that play area and the 
the garden space. So this is an area where children or people of all ages really can interact with nature um, and just kind of experience nature uh, in a much more hands-on way. Um, on the next slide, we have images, you know, we are still in conceptual, so we don't have, uh, you know, really any of the details designed, but, you know, these are just images of what these spaces could look and feel like. So starting with the active terrace, you can see images of those active uses. The garden terrace, you know, ideas for possible uh, just kind of quiet seating nooks framed by planting. That community plaza could serve one of the, you know, the many classrooms in the area. And then here's just an image of those small picnic tables. And then the play terrace, again, those school-aged children's play area, nature exploration area. And within the playground, we are proposing some large picnic tables. Moving on to our rendering, uh, here we are looking at the site from Natoma Street, which is here. Um, as you can see, the desire for trees and green is, you know, represented here so much that we actually can't see the park. So we have reduced the opacity of the trees a little bit in this next image so you can take a peek inside. Here you can see the play area in the foreground with that nature exploration area and uh, the garden and active uses beyond. And I believe... There's a last rendering in the garden and otherwise just next steps and that should conclude it. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you. Could you leave it on the last rendering? Uh, commissioner comments? I'll go first. Okay. Just, just for fun. Great presentation. Nicely done. Well, well argued. A lot of work. Um, just a couple quick questions. I was wondering if you could, what's the kind of idea about the dog relief area? Like, I mean, where should it go? Right? Yeah, so this the dog relief area is something that we have implemented in another project, our Guy Place Mini Park, which is another sort of small neighborhood scale park that we anticipated just, uh, you know, the, the the maintenance needs associated with dog urine and waste. Um, so the idea is to sort of intercept that use before it enters the park to provide a space for it. And also in our site specifically, given the, the narrow sidewalks of the alleys and just kind of the, you know, the type of yeah. pedestrian circulation, it also just helps open up that corner and makes that turn a little bit more uh, gracious. So, um, you know, it's it provides a, a maintenance uh, kind of benefit to the park by... Is it is it that little triangle right there on the corner? Yes, it is. Um, and so if you've seen Guy Place Mini Park, it's a similar thing where it's sort of just a small permeable paving area directly outside of the park entrance with a few boulders, um, you know, potentially a water fountain for dogs, uh -huh. um, but it's really just intended as a space for dogs to be able to relieve themselves before entering the park and thereby reducing the wear and tear on the park. Yeah, I, I guess it's just a question and maybe it's not a big deal. I'm not, uh, you guys would know best after all the, your experience, but is that the place for it to be? It's just a question. Like it just seems odd that it would be right there in the corner. Mm -hmm. do, are they, do people keep those clean? They do? Yeah, so so part of what we would provide is a uh, you know dog bags and things like yeah. that. Yeah. So, okay. And you know that that is a good question. We have heard that, so we are you know very open. Again, we're still at the conceptual level, so yeah, we can look at it. I don't. I at another don't location, a better place for it, but it, it, because I can see how it would be nice near the entrance for what you're talking about. But also, mm -hmm. it just seems like it's like a, it just seems like urbanistically odd. I don't know. It's a question. Um, and then uh, how. 
are you, are you folks required to have like fences around this or is it just yeah so i actually uh neglected to mention that so you see this sort of uh dot yep. around the perimeter of the park there is an eight foot perimeter park fence um okay and so we would definitely look at a fencing material that's uh, high transparency, but you know, make sure that it does serve its function, which is to secure the park at night. Okay, so that they close it down. And then, um, what is your feeling about the rec shed in terms of, you know, that is a it's a tricky corner. Um, would is it possible that that also be entrance, or is there usually just one entrance to the park, or how would it be not a dead end? Yeah, that is, um, you know, we did look at other options uh, for access and, you know, because these are two smaller, quieter streets, we looked at, you know, even an, an entrance here and an entrance here and opening it up across multiple directions. But unfortunately, the community was just concerned based on current activities and conditions that are happening, especially in on Minna Street itself. They were just worried about providing that access. And so they really felt that, you know, 11th Street, which feels a lot more public and open, was appropriate. Um, and, you know, another sort of similar um, parks, um, such as Hyde Turk Mini Park, we we do have one entrance, um, sort of as a, a central entrance for the park. Control point, okay. If, if I can just interject yep. though, isn't that area there uh, like one of the shadiest parts of the whole park, right? Yes, that's, that's correct as well. And so, um, I mean, it makes it a little, you might want to rethink that a little bit in terms of you know, you go into the park at almost a diagonal opposite, and that could be a place where people are doing things that maybe you don't want them to be doing. Mm -hmm. yeah. It is a concern that we've thought about um, even even fencing off that area to make it not publicly accessible. Mm -hmm. Kind of just, you know, ending it yeah. here. And so really allowing this last node of the garden to be sort of that, that terminus of the space. Yeah, that seems like a too bad, doesn't it? I mean, is it is there what's on the back side? I assume it's a blank wall where you have that. <clears throat> yeah, that is that just a blank concrete wall? Um, currently, there's a you know until we actually demolish the spaces, we won't know the conditions of uh, the the walls of this building. So, um, you know that that's something still yet to be understood. Uh, the condition of that wall. Maybe there's a and again, I don't know. It's just like what is the highest and best use of that little corner? Maybe there's some mural or something that could activate that back there or something. It just seems like a, you know, valuable part of the park. Um, you know, what to do with it. It's like the first move would be like just shut it down, maybe, but maybe we could figure out a way to open it up. But it may be usable and celebrated from both sides. I, I get what the community is saying, but that's it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks. Okay. Abby or Seth? Um, now, a couple more things. Um, I'm curious, uh, you said the playground is for uh, school-aged children. Is there an area for younger children? Um, yeah, so actually the, the nature exploration area is intended for all ages. Okay. And let's uh, go to that slide. Um, this. Uh, Oh, there it is. So this plan is actually uh, 
what we showed in the fourth community meeting, but we introduced the terrace sort of party and concept in the third community meeting. And in the third community meeting, we, we asked for some feedback on some of the de specific design directions. So one of them was, did the community want to fence off the children's play area and also include a dedicated tot lot? Or was the preference to leave it open, permeable, and have that relationship between the play area and the garden? And so the community voted uh, pretty heavily in favor of keeping it open and using using this nature exploration area as the way to provide that all ages bridge between the playground and the garden space. Are you going to have swings for toddlers? Yes. Oh, uh, not for toddlers. Um, that's not currently in the plan. Okay. Cause I, there are going to be families around here and they're going to have infants and toddlers. Mm -hmm. So you might want to think about something for them as well. Yeah, the, the swing that we're currently showing is sort of a disc type swing, which is something, yeah, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm very familiar with it and I go through this all the time with you guys. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I think that I understand that, but having the infant type of swing, I think is very helpful as well. Because you do, you are trying, particularly in this area to get more, I mean, this is kind of a fusion of different neighborhoods coming together here and this is an area that's going through gentrification we know that so i think there are going to be younger families there and so uh providing for them as well i mean mm -hmm. I, I know you've gone through your community meetings and i and you've been very thorough uh, i have you know only praise for your process and what you've gone through and the design you're coming up with um i just need to throw that out there yeah <laughs> Yeah, so mm -hmm. that's all. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, I think that was it. Thank you. The, Thank like you. I said, it's a wonderful presentation and a much needed area. Yeah, that's great. Okay. All right. I have a, a few questions. A lot of them have already been answered, though. Um, First of all, as an architect of over 40 years, I greatly appreciate the presentation. <laughs> I think that especially these drawings were really lovely. I used to have to do those by hand. So um, I love the way that you showed the thought process, um, the three schemes, the plaza, the commons, and the garden, resulting in the terraces. But could you please help us understand the concept of the terraces? Where are the terraces? Um, sections could help. Is there really a level change or where um, some spot grades would help, but I don't, is it just a name or? Yeah, it's actually just a name. So, you know, terraces does mean flat areas that could be kind of topographically different, but it could also just relate to a flat area outside of a building. So in this case, we were just kind of referring to the dojo and then these sort of terraces more defined by their different use types. So generally though, the park is pretty flat, which is great for accessibility. Okay, but next time you will have some sections or spot grades. But, and, and the paving plan, plan, what were you thinking of that? Or have you gotten even thought of it? We, we haven't gotten to that level of detail, either grading or materials, but you know, as the project moves beyond its conceptual phase and into schematic design and subsequent uh, you know, phases, we will definitely be back to um, kind of share all of that information with you as, okay. the, as the project develops. I really like the garden scheme, but that lost out on the second round of voting, I guess, ranked choice voting. Um, do you really need the, the half sports court? 
Is, is that the reason that the terraces came out or the terraces resulted? Well, we felt that based on the project goals and the need to serve as diverse of a park user kind of base as possible, that incorporating kind of this flexible use recreation space was important. We did work with, you know, different stakeholders in the area, such as ARC, um, as Alec men mentioned, and they're really interested in having as many sort of different types of experiences, users, et cetera, within the park. And so having that option, which can accommodate sports, it can come up accommodate community gathering and more passive recreation such as Tai Chi, yoga, et cetera, just really felt like it was a really sort of high benefit for the community. It seems to be rendered as half a basketball court. So would there be a, there'd obviously be a fence there or the balls will land in the street. Yeah, so that uh, that would be part of the perimeter fencing. Um, along oh, the, it that. would be that tall, the perimeter fence? Well, so in that area, it would be raised to 10 feet. So two feet higher than the, the rest of the park, which is eight feet. Okay. And then this area, as I walked up the, this block as well, it seems logical that people would want to enter from there. I don't like to see it all relegated to, to maintenance equipment, et cetera. In fact, I like the intimacy of, of this corner. In fact, I like the intimacy of this. I really like the, um, the way you coded these more private areas and that when you're in the private seating areas, you have an, generally have an island in front of you to keep it private. So you can sort of peer through the, the plants that are coming up on the island. I think that's really great. Um, and then this pergola. Oh yeah. Which might not be in the budget. I hope there, you find a way to make it in the budget. Yeah, so that, that did also come from sort of the community feedback was, you know, we asked um, if people were interested in any other sort of additional amenities within the garden space. And, you know, given the, the high sun exposure in this area, given the fact that trees just will take a time will take time to really provide a beneficial shade, uh, a garden structure was, or a shade structure was um, chosen by the community as a potential priority if there's funding available. It also helps just kind of reinforce the buffer between the active use and this quieter garden space. Um, so it kind of just helps frame the garden a little bit more. And the renderings are so beautiful. One wonders if it could be real. Is a and will you have seasonal color? Some of your others, it's just full of color. So you'll have spring and autumn colors, obviously, but will there be some way to have something in every season? Yeah, we, we would definitely prioritize seasonal interest um, at all times. And, you know, living in California, that's one of the great benefits of our climate is that we do have things blooming all year round. So we can definitely work with Rec Park Gardener staff to understand what works best for that effect. And there's a will be a maintenance plan in place, or is that up to Rec and Park to come up with? Uh, there will be, yeah. Okay. And then um, wind and noise studies. I was there twice. It doesn't seem that either was a problem that day, but some of the neighbors looking down, now that you introduce a sports court, um, but the place that you have put it um, seems like that would minimize the noise complaints. And one, the first thing I noticed on the site plan was this, and I was wondering why that wasn't incorporated as a community building or something, but I, that's obviously not in your budget, but you have two walls, you know, street walls with windows. So it seems logical that you would, if you, if you had control of that building, you would introduce windows on that side. You mentioned the operator is um, Dojo Yo, something like that. 
Is that, uh, that's not a restaurant or it is? No, it's, it's a dojo. It's an Aikido dojo. And so oh, it's, it's, it's privately support. owned, Okay, uh, but he's, he's definitely a supporter of the project and he's even open to letting us do something with that wall, like art, artwork or something. Uh, but okay. as far as cutting windows in it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, <clears throat> it's potentially ugly. I tried to get up high enough to have a view, but one never knows what these two walls are. And so this one, if it does become something of an entrance, you, you could, that's easier to screen this one. You have a sports court. You could maybe utilize that wall for handball or something. If you refinish it, this part, you can't really get to. So one thinks that you would just have plantings over it, but it would certainly help activate it. If there were windows or I was fantasizing, if it wasn't a community center, it might be a coffee shop so that people, it would, people would flow through the building, but that's out of your control. Did the city try and buy that or? I believe I did. I, I, I mean, I believe the city did, um, but that was a long time ago. And uh, yeah, I think it's a historic building, so okay. it's impossible for us to build it. To buy so it. you'll basically just hide it then or screen it depending on what it is. Yeah, depending on what we find when those buildings come down, and we won't know that until um, we do some investigations. Um, it'll require a lot of work along all of those edges. Okay. Well, it's a much needed project and I'm very excited about it. Thanks. Okay. Now for public comments, um, any in the room and then we'll go to WebEx. Okay. We'll be taking um, in-person public comment first for those joining remotely, please raise your hand if via WebEx. If you're calling by phone, please press star three to be placed in a queue. Um, press only once, remove you from the queue. Instructions are on the screen. Okay. And as a reminder that you receive a 30 second audible warning. Um, and then also, if you wish to make any additional comments, um, you may stay on the line to speak on other agenda items. Anyone who wish to speak during public comment at today's meeting can also provide a brief written summary of the comments to be included in the minutes, if it is 150 words or less, to paris.coats at sfgov.org. Okay, and check for in-person comments. Okay, and now checking for additional comments remotely. And there are no comments, public comments are now closed. Thank you. Okay, well, this is conceptual. So I believe we don't have a, no motion. Well, lovely, we, we're excited and we look forward to the next iteration. Thank you. And I would like to take a one minute The next team here. Yeah. Yeah. I need this. I'll do it. Because I don't need this. Okay. <laughs> okay. I feel like my brain is just like. <laughs> I know. Are you sure? Yeah, should be fine.
On to item number six, the SFMTA Trail Yard Modernization Project Conceptual Project Proposal. This is a first time review for this project. Team, are you ready? We are, yes. Would you <laughs> Thank like to you. wait for you've, you've had a very long wait and we appreciate it. Of course. Would you like us to wait for? So the presentation should be loaded. Yes. Right yes. Um, we don't have oh, someone graciously offered their pointer, and but maybe we that. need to not. Oh, okay, that, that's fine. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. We can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we usually always carry one as well. Like. Oh, wait, we have one that's coming downstairs. Yeah. We're about from upstairs. It's fine. Um, that's not yet 20 minutes. Um, and then we'll Yeah, sure. I can. Good afternoon. My name is Chris Hargy. I'm with plenary Americas and together with um, a number of, of housing developers and designers. We are, um, Petrero neighborhood collective. And so what we are is a consortium that, um, is engaging with the city through a pre-development agreement process to redevelop a new bus maintenance facility at uh, uh, 2500 Mariposa Street and to develop affordable housing as well. Um, during this pre-development phase, among a number of things, uh, the Petrero Neighborhood Collective team is progressing design development as well as engaging in an extensive community outreach process, which includes included hosting an open house this past Saturday at KQED, as well as meeting monthly with the Petrero Neighborhood Working Group which was established in 2018 um, as part of a larger outreach effort. Um, the timeline for this pre-development um, phase is about an 18 to 24 month process where, um, whereas, as I mentioned, we're engaging in a number of activities, including design development. Prior to that, uh, prior to this stage, um, Petrero Neighborhood Collective participated in a solicitation process that was led by SFMTA, where Petrero Neighborhood Collective responded um, and was selected as the preferred bidder to move forward with this pre-development agreement. Um, as part of that process, we prepared, Petrero Neighborhood Collective prepared a conceptual design of this project. As part of that um, solicitation process, there was also a design guidelines document. This design guideline document is an SFMTA docket that established, document that established a set of architectural and urban design standards and principles to guide development of the new project. 
this was a um, this these design guidelines effectively established the outer envelope of the project. This design guideline was developed after incorporating numerous feedback uh, from various stakeholders, including the Petrero Neighborhood Working Group and the Planning Department. Um, I also want to mention that there's um, the draft EIR for this project was issued back in June 2021. As part of our process, we um, obviously mentioned this is the first conceptual uh, meeting that we're having for this project. We intend to come back to the, the commissioners um, sometime later this year, anticipating September 2023. Um, again, my name is Chris Hargy. I'm with Plenary Americas as the infrastructure developer. I'm going to turn it over to my colleague, Tony Gill, as part of IBI Arcadis, to walk through the design. Um, well, thank you for giving us this opportunity to present this uh, to you today. Um, so my name is Tony Gill. Uh, I'm the principal in charge as well as design lead, but we also have other architects and involved in our team, including YA Studios, which is just their studios just down the block. So they've been intimately involved as well. Oh, excellent. Oh, perfect. Thank you so much. Um, so I'm going to walk you through the project. Um, just kind of like where we're at, and as Chris said, we've been getting lots of uh, feedback with the working groups, and we've been working with them as well, um, and we've been connecting um, and absorbing all, all the com comments that we're receiving, making adjustments, um, and it seems to have been going quite well, so um, especially with our last open house. So when we started this project, one of the first things that we wanted to do was understand the language and the texture of the streets, and, and you can see here, uh, we looked at the five-minute walking radius around the site, um, trying to understand all the character of the different buildings, the scale, because it's quite interesting, this neighborhood, with respect to that. Um, then also looking at the transit paths and, and the routes where vehicles move and pedestrians move, and including bike paths. So we looked at that five-minute walking radius, um, and then we also looked at it in uh, a 10-minute walking radius, um, and then what it meant to to this site as it related to um, the other parks and the other connecting areas. This site is quite large, it's 4.4 acres, um, so it is two city blocks relative to everything else around it. Franklin Square is about the same size, so we knew it was you know, a, an impactful site. Um, but it's been there for over 100 years as, as a bus yard, and that's one of the things that we heard from the community is that uh, many of the members of the community said that, you know, they've always appreciated the bus yard there. They would like to continue to see activities of the bus yard. So we've taken that into consideration as well. So just looking at the nature and the scale and, and the, well, we also looked at the history of, of the whole area and we'll come back to that in a minute, but just looking at the scale and it's quite interesting because on one side, um, you can see here uh, on the left of the screen, um, some of the buildings are fairly heavy looking. They, they have a, a grid and a structure that expresses itself on the outside. So the solid to void ratio is, is quite unique to some of these buildings. Um, on the right side, you can see a lot of the residential stuff. So it's a hybrid of these things in the neighborhood. And on the residential side, uh, the scale of the windows are much smaller. There's, there's different forms on the roof. Um, um, and then there's, there's just different texture of materials. And then we have uh, some areas around now are starting to add the glazing like KQED um, into the neighborhood. So just looking at the scale and understanding what's happening in the neighborhood. And so how do we, uh, a site the size that we are, connect with all of that um, because it's quite diverse. And so that was something that we started to explore. And, and I have two options that I kind of will, will walk you through. 
and we're still working on the materiality and where we're going with the materiality, but because um, we're just still in the concept phase. But one of the key things to this um, site was obviously it was a bus yard and um, the modernization of not only the site, but there's a modernization as it relates to the buses themselves. So really trying to make this operationally and much more efficient um, operations for them was one of the key factors. Currently the buses, um, they come in and out of Mariposa, but they also come in and out of 17th Street. So they do loop around and they have to, they go up onto 17th, get some work done, come back down, go on to Mariposa. Um, so there's lots of bus movements and things that happen on this site. So one of our goals, and I don't have the, um, I have a couple of diagrams of that, but I don't have them here. Um, one of the key things that we wanted to do was to try to keep that bus movement all internal to the site. Try to limit the amount of time so those buses have to go out on the street, come back into the site, because we felt that we wanted to keep this, the streets a lot more um, safe and, and secured. I mean, there's never been any instances, but it's a good idea from just a, a safety uh, perspective. Also, we're working with the better street guidelines uh, and trying to bring some of the bike lanes in, um, improving the sidewalks and, and, and the radius of the curbs um, around the site. So. One of the goals was to make this operationally incredibly efficient and keep as much of those movements internally as possible. So when I, I'll show you some diagrams in a minute that kind of explains how we've accomplished that. Okay, so looking at the, the site itself, so with respect to the guidelines, there were a few things on the guidelines that we were working with. One is that we had a 75 foot height for the podium um, and you can see it, uh, kind of here, this is the 74 foot height. Um, the bus yard itself is, uh, has a partial basement and then it has a ground level, which is all the maintenance and um, uh, some bus parking as well, but fare collections boxes and things that happen at that ground level. And that's where they come in and out. And then two levels of bus parking above. So you're parking roughly just over 200 buses there um, and, and they stack above. So the podium, um, you can see all the ways to here and here is all buses. So we also wanted to engage the street with some of the housing. So the housing sits on top and the housing has uh, within the guidelines, there's a few things that we had to achieve. One is, and which was good, uh, I mean, um, things that you would expect to see, stepping away from the park, uh, limiting the shadows on the park, um, some um, 10 foot, um, 20 foot setbacks up at the podium level. Um, so we were playing with the massing to try to fit within those guidelines and to fit the maximum amount of housing that we could. As well as understanding that we had a streetscape here and we had another kind of fabric at the top. So um, keeping that in mind, we were kind of pushing and moving the uh, massing around on a constant basis. But one of the key things that we did is because Bryant Street through that five minute, 10 minute radius study, Bryant Street was a very important street and a fairly active street because that's where all the buses were um, the bus stops were and, and, and the movement along there. So there's a bus stop right at the KQED over here. There's another one right, right off of um, Bryant and 17th. And then there's another one down further towards 16th. So we brought the housing down to that level of the street. So the affordable housing, whether it's senior or, or other types of affordable housing could come down to the street and connect to the street and be an active place. And I, I'm gonna show that in another slide in a moment. Um, but one of the key things we also looked at is when, as the building steps back to the north, um, 
we were trying to open up uh, views back out towards the park and out towards the city because there's some spectacular views out that way. And then also look at breaking the massing as much as we could uh, along um, 17th Street. So the way this works is the buses are internally circulating internally in, at the lower level and the upper levels here, but the ramps for the buses are on the, along the 17th Street side. And the reason the bus ramps ended up being on 17th Street side is because when you look at the amount of radius and turning and movements they have to make internally, it pushes the ramps to that end. Okay, so just on this one, I'm, I'm gonna talk a little bit about our philosophy as it relates to what we learned about the streets and, and some of the areas uh, around here is, we have Hampshire Street in Mariposa uh, right on the corner there, we have a main entrance for a lot of the staff. So if staff are coming by a vehicle along the side and they get picked up, dropped off, they could get picked up and dropped off here. They can enter the building and go up to the two or three levels. There's a, there's a maintenance bay level, there's a mezzanine level, and then there's two parking. That mezzanine level is where all the staff go up to get their operational stuff ready for the days. They get their routes and they get changed or they have um, training sessions and all that stuff at the mezzanine level. So they have an entrance here, but we also know that staff, a lot of them will be coming by buses and they'll coming by um, other routes. So this being the main route, we put a secondary entrance on the corner of Bryant and 17th. So what that did is we created two nodes, one on Hampshire and Mariposa, one on Bryant and 17th for staff, activating those two corners. We also looked at the corner here on Bryant and uh, Mariposa. And on the corner of Bryant and Mariposa, there's a commercial piece there. So there's a little bit of a commercial piece as well. And then on Hampshire and 17th, which you'll see a little bit later, there's another um, uh, opportunity for retail space on that corner. So really looking at these four corners and saying, how do we activate them? How do we make sure there's eyes on streets and, and, and get that connectivity there? Um, and instead of having staff all come off of one entry, we actually dispersed it. Um, the other thing that we looked at was really important because this is a large block is that a lot of times we forget about the mid blocks. And I talked about the mid block because the mid block is a place that kind of becomes a dead zone. But we, so we wanted to add some activity and connections at the mid block zone. So if you look here, this is the Brian and it's quite a long block. So at the mid block here is an entrance to the housing. We did the same on the opposite side. There's an entrance to the housing on Hampshire. So by doing that, there were two things that we achieved. One is we've separated the staff entry points from the housing entry points, but we also separated the housing entry points from the bus movements. So all the bus movements happens now on Mariposa as it does currently, except the route is, re is reversed. So they come in on the right side here and they come out on the left side. Currently it's the reverse. But um, so that allowed all the movement from Mariposa for buses, all the housing folks to be able to come at mid block on both sides, activating the streets um, during the day and in the evenings, and then having the staff come on the corners and then on the opposite two corners diagonally across are some commercial spaces. There's also commercial space along Bryant Street. Just letting you know you have five minutes. Oh my goodness, really? Yes. Oh. <laughs> uh, then in York Street, uh, there's another node here and here, and I won't go through that. 
Just very quickly, one of the big things is the screening. So because the bus yard has two levels of parking, it's got to be fully um, naturally ventilated. So we're using a screening that goes around um, the bus yard. And that screening is a perforated screen. And we're still studying what type of screening that is. I'm going to kind of go through this quickly. We are working with the art commission. We're starting to get um, feedback and input about how we in incorporate art and where we're going to incorporate art. Some of the art we want it to be in integral to the design. Um, so we're just starting those um, explorations on that. Um, taking a little slide. I'm going to skip. The so this one shows the massing. I'm going to show two different massing. This one shows massing kind of more on Mariposa and it kind of spreads it out across the site. Um, this is the, one of the concepts here. This one has a metal screen as a wrap. So all the structure is kind of behind and it's kind of like a silhouette. Uh, and we're playing with the screening here. Um, I know this looks kind of more solid, but it's actually quite um, permeable and, and with light and everything else, it's quite light looking. Um, this next slide shows you the massing on Mariposa. And then we were trying to be more playful with, uh, with the screening and the glazing. And then I'm just going to, this one next one is the concept that we're at now with a lot of the feedback that we received from community and others. We moved them, some of the massing off of Mariposa and brought it to the center. Um, and that made uh, a few little different changes. I'm just going to, because I only have a few minutes left. Uh, art locations, uh, we've been working with uh, the art commission and with the community group on where the art goes. The big piece that I want to be able to talk about is this one here. It's along 17th where those ramps are that I was explaining. That's going to be an active uh, art piece. We haven't brought the, an artist on yet, but there are bus movements there. There's glazing there and there's opportunities to do like a three-dimensional piece of art that will connect with the buses, the wall behind the buses, and then the glazing up at the front. Um, this art piece connects and, and is supposed to kind of connect with the child play area across the way. I'm just going to go through this. And this is that 17th where we're trying to um, bring a big art piece in here. And you can see the ramps coming down. There's another art piece here. These are just placeholders, uh, some type of mosaic art, more related to uh, the art you see in the community and, and, and in the neighborhood. And there's a few other spots as well for that. Um, on this particular scheme, we did change the screening. We did the reverse. We brought the structure on the outside and brought the screening on the inside. Um, so we did the reverse of that and looked at the screening as a different option um, because we have to make sure it has a certain amount of penetration through it and stuff. We, were, we got um, a lot of positive feedback about moving forward with a grid system like this that picks up a lot of the grid system that you see around the neighborhood on the bigger massive buildings. I'm just going to try to move through. Um, and this is just the corner of Bryant and Mariposa, bringing the housing down and playing with some of the forms and shapes. You can see that it kind of has some diagonal and things to it, but then you got the smaller scale of the windows. And we're still working on the materiality of, 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 of the building on that side. Um, this one shows the corner of Hampshire and Mariposa. That's the buses going in. This is the main entrance for the staff. One of their entrances, it's a stairwell that goes up. There's an elevator that goes up as well and try to light that up so that they can use those stairs um, and it's visible to the outside as well. And this is the, some more of the housing on, on this side. So on this particular facade um, building, you can see we, oh, you don't see it here. We, we, because we changed the massing, there's a bigger opening on this side um, with a big courtyard at the top, whereas the previous option had massing there. 
this corner of Hampshire and uh, Bryant. I know I'm almost out of time here, so I'm just going to go to the end. So one of the things that we want to do is understand lighting and what lighting can do uh, because it makes a big difference on the screens. People have said they want to see the buses. They want to be able to see some of the activity of the buses through the screens. So we are looking at what level of um, uh, penetration can we have through that because we also have birds as an issue that are coming through and we have a lot of ventilation and air movement that we have to take care care of. Um, last thing here, this is the piece that you see where we're trying to get um, an artist to work with us on. This is the other one on the other end. This as well is the entrance off Hampshire for the residence piece. It's a fairly tall piece and we're looking at looking at a dynamic screen and working with an artist on a dynamic screen there. On the other side, there's another piece like this for the other residents, but that would be more like a local artist doing some type of mosaic art and not a dynamic piece with the screen here. Um, so the screen's fairly important, and what we pick for the screen, we're just in the process of trying to understand what are our options uh, with regards to the screens. Sorry I've had to race through that, but um, I guess my time's up, right? 20 seconds. Oh. <laughs> well, um, Anyways, I raced through as fast as I could, but uh, um, I'll leave it to to you guys for comments now. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. I think we'll pick up what we missed uh, during the discussion, okay. so you, you'll get another chance. All right. Awesome. Okay. Well, okay. I d I would just like to say that it's, um, it's an amazing project, and uh, we're very excited that it's they're using a bus yard to put in 550 housing units and getting double the amount of buses and that they are fitting everything into that block. That's amazing, but we will get into the details there, but I would like to hear the other commissioner's comments. Right. Okay, well, I guess I'll start it off. Um, first of all, um, if I can ask uh, the SFMTA people who are here, I had some questions for you in terms of this project. Um, so, first of all, uh, I agree with Commissioner Carney. I mean, congratulations on this type of a project coming here. This is so much what we need now. So, I give you guys major kudos for, for attempting and doing this. I understand this is very unique and different, and there are going to be growing pains with it. So, I certainly understand and appreciate that. I am concerned a bit about how through your RFQ and RFPs, we ended up with an Australian developer with a Canadian architect of the firm that's recently been acquired by a firm in Amsterdam when we have a lot of really wonderful talent here. So I'd love to hear from uh, the MTA about that, if I could, how, how this sure. evolved. Good afternoon. I'm Kirsten McGarry, Senior Manager for SFMTA, including Facilities and Real Property Management. Lovely. So it was about a, a three-year process to go I, through. I the, can tell from, our, I've, I've done my right. research, yes. Oh, great. <laughs> Thank you very much. And um, several firms competed for to begin with, narrowed down to three, and then to two. And so um, the uh, Petrero Neighborhood Collective was the winner after three years of extensive uh, discussions and uh, review of all of the information. Um, we did do a request for a revised proposal and that was submitted and this team was selected. Um, the MTA has been looking at this site uh, and other sites 
uh, which we have 30 major facilities in San Francisco and Daly City. And this is one of the two sites that's more than 100 years old and has seismic issues. So it's one of our two electric trolley bus sites, which started as um, electric uh, rail historic streetcars in the, in the uh, 1912 era. Um, and so we've had to rebuild these. And so in the 1950s, they were rebuilt as electric trolley yards. And so it's been a long process. We actually started looking at these yards and others in our, in our system um, in 19, starting in 2012. So 100 years after the yards originally opened. So um, we've been on a long journey and we're um, pleased with the selection of the Petrero Neighborhood Collective and um, had their plans have been vetted through a, an extensive process, both internally and externally, including with the neighborhood uh, Petrero Neighborhood um, Working Group, um, who we've met with, as was explained, since 2018. So um, it's been a journey and we hope that you will join us on this journey <laughs> to um, get this project del delivered, including with more than 500 housing units above it, which is the first in the in the country. Yeah. Now, as I said, this concept is wonderful and I applaud you for doing this. Uh, some other questions, though, in terms of your process is uh, you had to come up with ordinances and stuff because this has never been done before. So here in our city, so we have to figure this out. So my question is, did you work with architects and planners as well as you were uh, coming up with this concept and idea? And uh, did they work as consultants with you? How, how did that part of the process go as you were going through? I mean, I, I know, I've, I've, as I said, I've done my homework. You've done a huge amount of uh, public outreach and community outreach in terms of what people might want and what they might think in terms of just developing the RFQ and the RFPs. So I, I get all that and I, you know, but I'm curious where the design and urbanization aspect of it came in, uh, sure. if you could address that. Yes, we had outside consultants, um, both on the architectural side as well as on the bus facility design side, right. um, so that they provided technical expertise and um, extensive design requirements, both on the exterior design, including for the housing, uh, the sh not shading the park across the street, um, having it fit into the urban context, um, and also providing a bus facility that works within the 4.4 acres and within the building, rather than circulating, as Tony described before, uh, circulating outside onto uh, Bryant Street um, and 17th, because we felt it would be safer for both the residents and the pedestrians and the bicyclists that use 17th Street a lot. Um, so, yes, we've had an a, uh, extensive um, help from the outside in terms of consultants, all American. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I just was, I was kind of surprised at first and without having, there wasn't a lot of background with the presentation. So I had to go and do some digging to find out what is this? Why are you doing this? How does this work? Um, what are, you know, I mean, we do have codes and we do have, you know, besides city codes, we've got major state codes and we've got to make sure we, and, you know, this is not SQL approved as yet. So it's, uh, the draft environmental report has been approved and, uh, it's going through the final EIR right now. Okay. And there were, um, no objections or very few, if any comments. 
Okay. As far as I understand it, with the historical preservation, they actually only gave you a partial NEGDAC. We have a, um, well, as I said, the final EIR is in process right now. Okay. All right. Um, I think that takes care of that part, the background. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you for your question. Um, so, as we've said, the project is a unique mix of, uh, of use of functions, and there's lots of challenges, as we all know, uh, to integrate a livable community within a massive transit maintenance facility. It's an extremely challenging and uh, both in terms of functionality of the uses, but also as a significant element at a scale that will redefine and improve the character of the neighborhood. Okay? So it's the impact on the character of the neighborhood that is not clearly defined or can't be understood from the drawings that at least were submitted. And, uh, you know, we're kind of, I'm not understanding where it's going yet, and that is a concern when you give us your concept. I don't get what your concept is. I'm having a problem with that. Um, what I seem is missing, what I feel is missing um, is the context of the neighborhood, um, you know, other than the photos of adjacent buildings they've done and traffic patterns, environment patterns, but like what about the, and you did address some of this, the uh, environmental impacts of the ventilation and the exhaust, for, for example. And I'm very concerned about that with putting housing on top of it, okay, as I'm sure everybody would be. Um, also, the massing envelope does not indicate what the allowable heights are based on the zoning regulations. That was some of what I alluded to earlier. Many residents of Potrero have historically been concerned about views from residential areas towards downtown being blocked, go through this all the time, uh, by commercial development. For example, the Mission Bay redevelopment projects. We all know <laughs> what went on with those. Um, there is not a clear understanding uh, of the street level interface for pedestrians. And so residents and maintenance facility service access as well. How do residents access the housing components? I mean, you showed the main entry there, but how does that work? How do they all get in? This is a huge co complex on top of it. How do they move around? How does the circulation work? And, how, and as I mentioned before, how's the air quality taken into account with exhaust ventilation systems? And can residents have natural ventilation for their units? How is that going to work? And what about night lighting and with this transparency in the screening? And what does that do in terms of how that affects the residents as well as the possible night noise from all of the buses and stuff? So I know this is, it's just all these things come up and I just kept going, well, well, what about this and what about this? So I figured I just had to write it all down <laughs> to, to try to get uh, get through it, but um, I understand you are working with local architects, which is good because you're not a local architect and you're not registered in California. So we have to have good people who are registered in California because California codes are not simple. So, so let me um, explain a few things and just try to address some of the questions yeah. you have. Is uh, my background is in fairly highly complex. Projects that are like this that range from you know um, up to two billion dollars, where they're just really complex, and right. they're complex from a functional aspect, they're complex from an urban design aspect, right. and then they're complex from a from just a code 
right? So when you look at a facility like this uh, and, and, and looking at what they need to achieve operationally, that was one of the key things that was a driving force. If the buses couldn't operate, the buses couldn't do what they needed to do, the project wouldn't be successful. That was uh, one of the key factors. And these are all electric buses. So combustion and all that kind of stuff isn't going to be the issue here. Um, the noise level and stuff with all these all electrical buses is different. They are battery buses. So the codes and stuff are unique. And we're going to be working with the fire department and the building department on codes as it relates to a performance-based code. You can't take, here's what the code says, and here's what we're going to do. No, it's a collaboration between what we know about about these type of complex facilities and how they have to operate and work for exiting for all those other kind of things. So a lot of that is already in play and it's happening and we are in those conversations. With respect to some of the urban streetscape stuff, we do have um, uh, another, we are working with the better streets and we're working with, um, uh, what's the group name? Uh, Estad, sorry, uh, Estad on all the streetscape issues, um, and including the landscaping, the entry points. We just don't have those images here, uh, and that will be the next time we will be presenting that full streetscape uh, component to you, including the landscaping, the trees, um, but those haven't been finalized yet because we're working on these exit strategies, right? Because they're pretty complex. So that piece is coming on board as well. Uh, I'm trying to understand, like, so on, on this working group, there are a couple architects in that working group as well. Uh, and there's a landscape architect and there's a few other people within the community that are providing their input and their feedback. Uh, and we've been doing that for a while, including with YA Studios who, who have been, you know, their offices are just down the street. So um, you're, what you're seeing right now is conceptual and we're moving into that layering. And I think the layering that's missing right now is the materiality. Um, and I think once you start to see those materials and the things that that, that layering that we're going to start to do, um, hopefully that will start to answer some of the questions you have. Con concept wise, uh, as a big picture, uh, we had um, obviously the buildings taking up the whole full block, edge to edge to edge, right, all all around, it's because of the buses. There there wasn't very much there, so we wanted to make sure, and we knew we had to be seventy five feet, and it was going to be this. This big, 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 huge podium, big, huge yeah. podium. Yeah. So the concept was to be able to, uh, and this is through feedback and and through our discovery as well, is really try to express the structure, uh, and the rhythm of the structure, because it's a unique rhythm because it's seven foot phase, um, for for this bus yard because of that's the way the buses need seventy foot lengths to be able to make seventy foot. Yeah. Okay. So they're very long bays. Um, and so the structural bay grid system, um, and it came out through our, our discussions, even with planning, because planning has had some conversation. We've had conversations with planning as well on massing and things like that. So the concept was to try to express the, uh, the structure, allow visibility to the buses, and then highlight these key nodes that I was describing earlier. Um, and that's what we've been trying to do. What you're not seeing is the layering of the landscape, uh, is that urban design layer yet, um, which we do have. We just didn't present it today because they're working on a few bits of that, especially with the exiting. Yeah, it, it's helpful to yeah. to be able to see that when you're talking concept. It's also helpful to understand your massing better 
um, than what you've done. I mean, I, I personally am having a hard time understanding how the housing units and how that's going to work with the workforce. One of my other questions was how much, how, how many, how large is the staff that's going to be housed here? Is this, do you know that? Uh, yes, <laughs> we will have more buses. We'll have 213 buses okay. going in and out. Um, a total of more than 800 employees, but about 100 during each shift, which are there's basically a very early morning shift starting at about 3 a.m. Um, and then there's a midday shift and then there's a night shift. Um, and so they're not all there at once. Right. And course. they come from basically all over uh, the Bay Area to work there. <clears throat> and so there's both the operator side, muni operator, bus operators, as well as the, the maintenance um, working on the, on the main floor. Uh, the first floor as you as the buses go in um, and then there's also a training facility for people to learn <clears throat> how to do both bus operator um, how to drive a bus as well as to maintain the buses so that training facility <clears throat> is moving from our our presidio yard to this facility so there'll be opportunities for san franciscans to learn how to work for the muni which is one of the features that we'd like to uh, bring out because it's an opportunity for people to be able to grow up in San Francisco and work in San Francisco for their whole careers. Now, Tim Kemp is also here from Public Works and managed the RFQ and RFP process. Uh -huh. So, if you'd like to hear from Tim, yeah, that would, that would be great. Thank Hi, you, Commissioner. It's very helpful. I appreciate it. Sure. Yeah, it's a lot abruptly coming at you right now, but recognize <laughs> yeah. this is the inertia. Um, the better part of five years going back to 2018 with the yeah. engagement process and then 2019 um, submitting the project and initiating that, which led to the publication of the DEIR in, in June of 2021. Right. Chris had identified. Chris here is um, the project manager with Plenary America. So I presume uh, your first comment being that Plenary Group in Australia, that is right. correct. However, this uh, outfit is led by Plenary Americas, which is headquartered in Los Angeles okay. and have done um, public private partnerships in the United States. So um, <clears throat> maybe to talk a bit about the structure and how we set this up, we saw this project as two major projects in one deal, right. one, one, one big project. Right. So that's a major um, tra transit maintenance facility with a major housing development on top. The former is public, the latter is private. So how do we set up this project to make sure that the top project objective, which is delivering a top quality bus yard on time and on budget, is it maintains the top objective. And so that is setting up a structure where the team and the consortium is led by an infrastructure developer. And so that's Plenary Americas. So under them as the lead developer comes everybody else. And then at, at Tony Gill with IBI Group, is um, that speaks to the transit maintenance facility design and expertise. So it's almost like a niche within a niche. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the first niche is transit maintenance facility design, which is its own highly special industrial Got design it. approach. IBI group has done several um, dozen more mm -hmm. dozens, plural, yeah. <laughs> which is so that's the global expertise that they're bringing to the table. And let me just tell you that that top project objective in del delivering at least up until now through concept, a high quality bus yard design 
fully achieved um, top-notch job there. So that's just the lead developer and then the design consultant, right? So rounding consortium group are all of the other players in the core development team that we've matured. So that's make local designers, local affordable housing developers, local affordable housing developers as well. So we're just getting started here. We issued the NTP to approve agreement back in November. Right, I saw that. Of, but the better part of a two-year procurement process. Right. right. Leading up to that, which I think was your second question, why a special legislation, right? Because there really was no delivery method that our administrative code contemplated that got us to be able to enter into an initial agreement to figure out all these really complex multidimensional aspects of everything, a public project, a complex public project, a complex private project, and by the way, one is on top of the other, literally, and also integrating into CEQA, which by right. that time had already published the draft EIR. Uh, and, and, and not to mention the, the, the multitude of all the other complexities. So um, the project enabling legislation allowed us to enter into a non-binding, non-paying pre-development agreement. So the lead developers financing all of the soft costs and the professional services at risk, knowing that both parties mutually have the interest to get to a final deal and an outcome that resolves commercial aspects, financial aspects, it's tech, not to mention technical aspects as well. So, um, and then you, you also asked about, did we, did, did the MTA engage with technical um, designers and the like? Well, very much so. That was how they were able to um, submit the project application to the planning department as the um, procurement and the selection process for the lead developer uh, core team was in motion. So they um, were right hand in hand with the MTA going to the community, uh, providing a presence in the community to get that constant feedback loop um, through a course of 12 to 15 uh, public engagement sessions to get feedback on what was palatable here, what was desirable from the larger community's perspective. And, you know, Far and away, the outcome of that was um, the housing envelope that we have. So that was the outer housing envelope uh, density and the design guidelines as well. So very much kind of a process of all of the above um, leading up to where we are now. Okay. And okay. I now can't recall your very last question, but I wanted um, to touch on those three points. I think, uh, I think so. I mean, there was, you know, there was part of the hook. I think you answered the CEQA aspect of it and the designer aspect of it. Um, and uh, I, I may come back. I have a lot of this stuff here, but you've answered a lot of the questions. So I thank you for that because this is the stuff where I'm going, okay, I know this is a unique project and stuff, but we need a little more background here than what we got um, prior to your coming here today. So that's why I was looking forward to your coming so we could please <laughs> get the answers. <laughs> um, and I think some of the guidelines on the massing, they kind of set where the massing was going to be driven towards mm -hmm. as well, the guidelines, because it set the 75, the 115, the 150, the, those different heights yes. and certain setbacks of where you could put the densities and stuff. So, mm -hmm. so we were also working with that and trying to maximize the housing. Um, so maximizing the housing was important um, as well to try to get as most of we right. within that envelope that we were trying to 
Yeah, and I'm trying to also decide the relation, trying to understand the relationship between the workforce component and how that works with the housing, because it's kind of, I mean, I got to be honest, it looks like things are just dropped in and I know that they weren't. So explain to me, please. <laughs> in terms of the layout of the housing on, on the podium? The housing and then the workforce, uh, it, it, the relationship. I mean, you explain sure. the circulation of enter of the entrances and exits, sure. but have not explained right. why they, things are placed where they are in terms of your massing. Yeah, yeah I just uh, yeah, no, I just totally agree. I, one of the things I think is confusing is that we haven't seen any plans. Uh, like yeah, about the housing layouts and well, and all I, the amenity spaces. Well, no, I, I mean, I and uh, I mean, I don't want to. Jump in, but no, please. Uh, it would be super helpful for us to understand uh, level by level the plans to understand the technical agree. Okay. requirements uh, because I know they're there. Um, so th uh, yeah, and yeah, it right. Um, so you're you're absolutely correct. I, I I think the plans would help explain a lot more of that and kind of maybe convey the concept a bit more with respect to the housing. Uh, the way the housing works, there's a. There's actually a concept. can I ask a, a preliminary question with a couple um, you said that why and I didn't mean to interrupt your no, no, just okay. to get a little bit more background before we get it. Sure. Into detail, uh -huh. We'll figure this out. <laughs> so it's a good project for the city. Um, I know uh, YA studios uh, and their background in affordable housing. So I was just wondering um, uh, why aren't they here is one question. And then um, I guess related to that, what have they actually, what's their involvement in your design? Um, because it's, if I understand it correctly, uh, your expertise is in the actual bus maintenance. It's the whole thing. Cause we have, uh -huh. um, we've been, our offices have been here for a long time. We have okay. offices in LA and okay. San Jose, um, San okay. Francisco. Okay. So you do housing as well. Yeah. So okay. 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 Um, okay. Housing. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. So yeah. So what is YA? How so is YA involved? Uh, uh, role is on the um, mostly on the affordable housing side. So okay. they've been uh, involved in. Actually, we're an integrated team. Like we work uh -huh. in their studio. They work with us. Uh -huh. We kind of like meshing together a lot uh -huh. um, on the whole project. Uh -huh. But their focus is on the housing mostly. So okay. Uh, they have a team of about four or five people that have been laying out the housing, looking at some of the fenestration. Okay. They've been uh, involved with some of the cultural aspects that we're looking at. So some of these images that you see huh. um, are actually some of them are, are of their work, but okay. also of they provided some of those images and we walked through those together. Okay. Um, so they're they were they've been at the open houses, they've been at the working group sessions. So so they're they're in there, they're included, definitely. So Huh. Okay. Uh, okay. But um, I guess like you wanted me to explain um, a little bit on the housing piece. And so the concept around the housing piece, we reason the affordable housing and everything you see, it's kind of a, like a C shape. Uh -huh. What's driven some of that is some of the setbacks and the shadows and things that we sure. have to do. Sure. But we brought the housing. You can see where it says affordable senior. Yep. It comes down the side and we put the affordable senior and on that housing there because it's closer to the street. It's closer to the bus stop. It's, it's just closer to all that amenities kind of activity space that they kind of need. In the middle of the site there, there's a courtyard uh, within the sea, but there's a, the green stripe that goes through. Uh -huh. uh, and what we actually have where it says workforce housing, 
there's actually a, a breezeway that goes through. Mm. And so we don't have that breezeway shown here. Mm. So they interconnect. So one of the things that we didn't want to have is affordable housing, workforce housing to be very separated, but mm. all the outdoor space and everything to kind of mesh together. So there is a breezeway that comes across and that connects the two sides. So the H shape that you see on the workforce is put there because we moved and we had to work with planning on this because the guideline said kind of like push it to Mariposa, but we wanted to push it back from Mariposa and get another courtyard on the south side as well uh -huh. because we wanted to um, be able to get some sunlight on that side. Um, so that's one of the reasons we, we kind of moved that workforce out to the center. The other thing, reason it's there is if you come up the elevators off of Hampshire Street, it allows you to connect to the two legs that go in um, on an angle there. Yeah. Um, so the H shape is driven by a few little moves like that that we we did, and and we were working with YA on that as well, yeah. kind of trying and exploring different things that we could do with the shapes and yeah. still fit in the amount of housing yeah. that we had to fit yeah. in. Right? Well, I, I guess it, you know I I hear your words and I totally appreciate all the gymnastics that you've gone through to get to this, but until we See, that could be explained to us. It it looks and we don't understand yeah. how you got there. And since we don't understand how you got there, we can't really. I I don't know what we can't really evaluate it. And right, we can. Our eye, it yeah. still looks like. Yeah. Well, one of the other <laughs> yeah. things I just wanted to share with you is was really important, and it comes back to um, your earlier comment is we didn't want the housing units to face each other. Sure. You know, within thirty feet, you're looking across, and there's yes. So if you look there, do you see the sea? There's huge amounts of space between that C and that H and between the H there's um, that's almost like 90 feet. So the housing and you see the 1 that going on an angle it goes on yeah. 17 degrees. Yeah. So that when you're in the housing units on the Hampshire side, looking across the courtyard, yeah. those housing on the 17 degrees when you're looking at the, it's a reflective on the glass because uh -huh. the glass is on an angle, right? Uh -huh. So you don't see directly into the person's units. Uh -huh. So we're trying to maintain privacy. Um, and so that was another key aspect of this was privacy and how do we maintain those levels of privacy? Yeah, and so you mentioned 17 degrees. Why was that important? Well, what ended up, it, it, it just ended up being 17 degrees um, because it was, we were trying to get that reflective piece so that you don't look straight into the, sure, sure. end up being well, 17 I mean, degrees I think as well. The thing is 90 feet is really a really big distance and yes. it's a very urban condition. So one would ask, well, you know, maybe you could put more housing in. I mean, I guess like, I don't, I don't, I just, I, I don't know. Um, we we need more information. I mean, this is where we're at at this point, and we understand the complexity of this. This is yeah. we get it, but in order for us to really understand, we, I feel like you're going to have to come back for concept design again because there's there's not enough here for us to understand your concept. Yeah. To to make comments to you so that you can continue on and go through the phases, and we want to help you to get there. But and and we understand the complexity of this, but it ain't there yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, I mean, I know that you know this, but we need plans and, and sections yeah. uh, and uh, concept. I mean, you did not to over communicate or repeat. I mean, you did show us the sort of the pictures of the neighborhood, but it doesn't. It's not reflected on uh, how you relate to the neighborhood is not reflected yet. We don't understand that aspect of it as yet. Sure. Um, yeah, because it's the grid system. Um, but yeah, I mean, I could yeah. put that image of a couple of buildings next to what we're doing. Maybe you then begin to see it a bit more. Because mm -hmm. the rhythm of the 
uh, the bays and stuff of all the larger buildings uh -huh. is what we were trying to pick up off of. Right, but we ha we don't have that information. Show us that, and yeah. then we can talk. Judge, <laughs> do you have any images that show more than someone? Uh, we do, but not. I can show up here right now. I guess the other thing is, <laughs> this is it's an amazing uh, design problem. And it, I, it is. It's, it's not simple. simple. Yeah. It's also I, I, like the somehow um, it still comes across as um, disparate housing on top of a bus, and it's okay that it, you know that there is housing on top of a bus, and it could look like two different things. But right now, they're not quite right gelling. So a couple of the feedback yeah. we got, um, which um, yeah. one of the feedbacks was. Oh, how do you integrate these all together? And then there was the other feedback was, no, 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 they should they should be identified as their own elements. Sure. sure. So we identified it as three elements. So okay. if you look at our okay. our uh, facade, um, our design there, yeah, the affordable housing stuff had a different kind of window pattern, and why it was working with, you know, a certain window pattern for that. Yeah. And we look at workforce. Oh, oh, yeah. It is a different window pattern. Uh huh. Thank you. And yeah. then the bus yard is a yeah. different grid system. Right? But so, but but I think. In concept, we can't be talking about window patterns. We need to be talking about larger massing. moves. Yeah, massing because you're talking about you know secondary things at this point. The next layer. Of yeah, yeah. So we need to step back and um, and it would be great to see like again like different options for the massing. Let me, uh, Patrick. You probably no, Patrick know. hasn't even talked yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, Commissioner, if I could uh, res uh, respond to uh, Commissioner Rothschild, thank you for your comments and. They sound exactly similar to uh, planning commission uh, planning department's comments. Uh, current I, planning, I bet they do. planning. Yeah, I can't so recognize yeah. quite unique here yeah. where where we're at in this moment in time. We're actually past the DEIR and and advancing towards final EIR um, oh. scheduled to to occur later this year. Okay. And the overall goal of this is to fit within the time constraints of delivery of the bus yard, okay. as well as the time constraints of delivering housing. Okay. And so um, what you said, it just triggered triggered a lot of similar um, comments that we were responding to that we received from planning citywide and uh, current planning as well, where actually we kind of something like this, like a, a blocking diagram was presented to them. And then through a, a series of iterations, uh, came up with a lot of massing moves, um, talking about setback. Design guidelines are very explicit with respect to setback. Mm -hmm. And of course, the, the shadow limitations of, of course, there's a, a park directly across the street to the north, which um, kind of sure. accentuates all the shadow impacts. Yep. Yep. But um, maximizing housing, uh, working within the shadow, also working within the outer envelope of the maximum height. Yep. Um, and then also responding to um, this integration better, more of a vertical integration, more of a vertical fabric sure. um, that kind of breaks down the massing so that it's not just a bunch of boxes on top of bigger on top of a bigger box. Yeah. And so through the course of, um, I don't know, two or three more iterations, we came to a stable project description with urban design um, for planning. Okay. And now we're basically in the process of starting wind and shadow okay um well past stable project description so this, this is actually the second round okay uh, because the first round to get to draft eir went through a wind and shadow of the reference design concept okay. that predated the selection of this team okay now we're about to do it again okay in fact it's already gotten into the wind tunnel we just learned over the weekend 
Okay. Um, so very much working on the accelerated timeline. So just wanted to. Uh, okay. Put that well, out I appreciate that. I mean, maybe we also need to understand where you are. You know, in the timeline and hold our comments to that respective of that. So. Uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'm going to let Patrick go. <laughs> okay. Well, a lot of my um, observations have already been made. Um, but. Yeah, it's it's not melding together um, as a visually cohesive design, and I understand that that was a choice. Um, it's it seems disjointed, and again, that seems to be a choice because usually in a project like this, you touched on it a moment ago. You either um, separate the functions, you know, like Conrad say, let the function express. You you have the bus, and then you have the housing. And the other option would be to meld them together architecturally into a cohesive unit. So we've seen the first option. Have you done the second option? Um, massing wise, having them blend together without the setbacks. I'd say right now it's distinguished in, in every way. You see the podium and not just um, in terms of massing with the ledges, et cetera, but you except along, um, um, I think that's Bryant. On Bryant, it sort of goes the whole 13 stories. The whole, yeah. But the others, you see the separation in terms of massing, but you also see the separation in terms of architectural treatment. Yes. So the residential on top of a bus stop, um, you know, is one way to look at it. But we would like you to to give us the other option as well, if you could, um, just because they're they're not. Blending together, I looked on um, SF Yimby at the previous iteration of some of the comments. One of them said it looked like a auto dealership, you know, especially with the swoop, the Audi dealership below with the housing on top. They they look so different, and again, it, it's a choice. If um, doesn't mean that we agree with it, but um, and having the architectural expression of the parking garage based solely on the span of the bus system, you know, the the huge seventy foot spans are very heroic. And uh, very muscular and everything, and the housing is a little less muscular. For sure. So, how do you merge them into each other? You know, some of those elaborate Middle Eastern designs where they come in as a grid that sort of swoops together and gets smaller as it goes up, that could be worked into the screen. But is it really that important to express the the heroic structure of the garage? And and some people wanted to see the buses. And is that really best for the neighborhood? You know, seeing the buses is interesting, but is it really best for for a residential neighborhood? And and one of my biggest concerns too is from the park. You know, how often do you get a a, a residential structure facing a park? Everybody wants a window onto the park, and some of the upper units have that, but we have those ramps. And you said that that's the best way to have less traffic on the street. That's the way that there are fewer ins and outs if you have the ramps there. Couldn't they be located inside further so you don't see them? It's one thing to express the ramps like on the Pompidou Center in Paris where the escalators, that is their design feature is the ramps. But does this park deserve more than just the bus ramps? You said you're going to hire an artist to do that, that might help because that might block the, the ramp. Right now you're expressing it like you'd see on a parking garage, you have the two ramps going down. Maybe the art piece will obscure that a little bit. And then the housing, which can maybe come forward so there are more windows on the park. 
But there is, of course, a shadow diagram. Yes. Because, you know, the park can only have it. So I can understand why the massing steps down. But too yep. bad it's not a little wider, so you could actually have housing facing the park and then have the bus bus facilities completely isolated with the skinny, like 30 foot deep level of housing on that front facade and then the ramp hidden behind that so that when you're in the park, I was there last night several times in the last week or so since, since I understood this was coming. I'm not close enough to recording it. <laughs> anyway, so um, even last night, my latest trip, it was drizzling rain and there were women with their children in the play area. There were probably 35 to 40 people in the soccer field of all ages. You know, that a lot of people are in the park looking back, not necessarily looking back on the housing, but the people in the housing could look at the people in the park. So it's a complex thing. And, you know, the, the two very disparate functions, the bus station and the housing. But to base it based on the structural grid of the housing and the screens, you know, how big are the screens? You said it was to mimic some of the larger window walls, which we do see a lot of in South of Market. But would they be, would they have glass in them or would they have screens like the Trans Bay Terminal? How do you keep birds out, et cetera? You like the Trans Bay Terminal. Uh, but on a, a bigger grid. So the Well, no, because we have to make sure that. Um, the birds don't come in. And then there's also a certain amount of airflow that we have to push through uh, because it's naturally ventilated. It's not uh, mechanically ventilated um, through it. But your comment on the uh, on the ramps, I just wanted to clarify something there. Um, the ramps are pushed to 17th Street is because that's the depth we need from Mariposa to 17th internally for the buses to make their maneuvering. So that's how the ramps end, ended up where they are. Oh, because that much of the block is required. Well, they are huge buses, to say the least. Yeah, and there, if you think of a 60-foot articulated bus, the amount of turning it has to do, it's significant. And we're still studying to make sure we're we're at the minimum that we can plot. Like, it's really tight even right now for the buses to turn, so we're studying that a bit more. Mm -hmm. With respect to the ramp, so we had different opinions from different several different people express the buses. We want to see the buses. We want to see the grid because it ex explains something about the building. So there's different philosophies on that. Um, An architect's 20 opinions. There you go. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> and I'm the meat and the sandwich. But um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so that expressing of the ramps and everything else came back to us. Like, we really want to see these movements. And I felt like, okay, let's see the movements, but we want it to become something very special just besides a ramp coming up, exactly what you just said. So with the art commission, we walked this site in the pouring rain the other other day on Sunday, oh, what was it, Friday? I can't remember, Tuesday, well, yeah, it's been raining. So we walked the whole site and pouring rain and we talked about exactly what you said, is how can we make this span with the buses coming down a very, maybe animated or very active kind of look and give it a good feel. So that is where we really want to integrate with the artist and really work with the artist. So there's two things that we could do with the artist. One, definitely looking at that glass, the ramps, and then the walls, how do you animate that? The second thing is the pattern that we use for the screen. Yeah, if you see the Moscone Center or if you go to the Young Center, you know, you pick that right screening level, it could be quite, quite exciting, but it's a bad one. 
So that's the process we haven't gone through yet is picking yeah. that, but because we're also waiting to see who we get as the artists that work with us. <laughs> Commissioner Carney, if I could add to the expressed desire to have transparency in the building and actually it was stated in the design guidelines to demonstrate a visibility into the bus yard. Uh, and it was the outcome of, um, again, the years long community outreach and the dozens of community outreach meetings that were held in the community. They want to see who their neighbor was and they wanted to be able to have um, visibility, literally transparency into uh, the inner workings of the bus yard. And so the bus ramps along 17th street very much is an expression of that. Um, and, and again, an express um, design guideline stated in the design guidelines. And, and, and not, not only the community, but also an express, uh, expressly stated desire of the MTA as well as the transit operator. To, to in fact, not obscure it, but rather the opposite. We're asked to show we can't. more of the buses. The neighbors wanted to see more of the buses out, out of the front window. That they feel it's been there for 100 years. It's been part of their community. They've always seen this and they connected with it. So how can we make sure that that connection doesn't get lost? Uh, well, we want you to meet all, all of the neighborhood concerns, but we, but somehow it, it's not blending. Um, there must be a way to whatever happens down at the bus station levels. That's what 75 feet up. Is that yeah. correct? then somehow something's got to continue upwards. Somehow it's got to, to tie together. They can still have separate expressions, but they need to blend as well. It can't just be. And I think part of it is going to be, um, and you touched on upon it earlier, the, the structural system and the grid system for the housing and the bus yard are very different, right? right? One's a little more granular in its form, the other one's more muscular in its form. So I don't think, Bringing that together is going to be that easy, but we've been trying to do that uh, and finding ways. But material will be another way that we can bring it together. Um, mm -hmm. I think once we start selecting the material, it would be very important. The con of the comments that came back is that the artwork, they don't want the artwork to be just splattered everywhere, but to be integrated in certain pieces. So we have highlighted with the Arts Commission where those certain pieces could be and make those a very bright, colorful, you know, and symbolic of, of, of what's going on in the neighborhood as far as art goes. Mm -hmm. So that piece, I think, will also be very important and that could help with some of the integration. Huh. Um, well, it shouldn't rely on the art. Art should certainly be, be integrated, but you can't rely. It's can't rely on it. Yeah. Tony, do you want to show the other the one actual facade image that you had in the corner of Bryant and Mariposa? Um, that was yeah, very much the yeah, outcome that would be great. Of, and just of, the, so, of the conversation with planning. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, and just so I understand, uh, are you saying that the massing is set? The design guidelines are set, yeah, with respect to setback. And then the... Uh, the um, oh, no, I'm sorry, the, the massing, the... The, the, this massing that you're showing us is oh. approved and is, is set? Approved by planning department, uh, urban design, statement uh -huh. project description, very much going with the supplemental environmental analysis with the wind and shadow. Yeah. So in fact, the model is, has entered the wind tunnel. Uh-huh. Oh. Okay. So I think this is probably a good expression of the outcome in the, of the iterations with planning department and bringing um, some of that massing along that corner uh, to be flush, to bring that vertical integration and the vertical fabric that goes from the bottom uh, all the way to the top. So originally it wasn't like that. Originally they had actually complied with the design guidelines with the setback. 
uh, but then certain carve outs were allowed to be able to draw more vertical integration. You, it, it's not coming through in the, in the stacking diagrams no, uh, for sure. For, for me, that's my, my favorite side of the project because it goes, yeah. even, even though it's tall, there are buildings in Chelsea that are maybe 15 stories tall that are like six blocks long. There's two of them, two monsters that lead up to the High Line. Anyway, they're, they're wonderful and they're, they're full of windows and life and, and little setbacks and and it obscures the, the bus a little. And then you have the, all of a sudden the horizontality where, where the bus station is. Yeah, and so on this side, it does achieve those things um, that you're exactly what you're saying. There's lots of ins and outs and stuff like that. But then when you go the other two streets, it's picking up the bus yard, right? Yeah. The, that, that muscularity of the bus yard and- And then the setback and maybe in a few places it could continue because up. Because the setback creates more of that separation. It, it, it identifies the podium more so, right? When yeah. you set back that 10, 12, 20 feet, you're, you're starting to see that horizontal band. Well, well, maybe I can personally take a step back and um, kind of understand better what we're supposed to be commenting on uh, because I'm not sure at this point uh, what, our, what our purview is because I, you know, I want to respect their you know they're they're marching professional <laughs> uh yeah and they're what they've been going you know they're the process that they've done if i can interject it might be helpful if we knew better understood what the design restrictions and parameters are because you've told us you've created those and i get that that you had to for this but if we understood those better we could understand why things have been done the way they have the other thing I was going to comment on um, from Commissioner Carney is the a comment of, you know, there's also a way to transition it, uh, I think, as opposed to making sure it's all yeah. unique. That's another way of thinking about it. But as I said earlier, I think I'm still of the opinion now that we don't have enough information to give you really good commentary about how you're progressing with your concept. You, I feel you're still gonna have to come back for concept and give us a lot more information. You know, give us elevations, give us sections, let us really understand, which we have done with people in concept, but we also, with people in concept, we go through with them, with the community meetings, what they found out, the programming, the circulation, the bubble diagrams, any of that. We, uh, we're just all of a sudden given pretty pictures. So you can understand our feeling, wow, how do we help you with this? Uh, we, we can work with Paris to distribute the design guidelines. Sure. And I think it might be providing more information I, within that which is already available. Right, I mean, I barely got through the 15 minutes, but I have a lot of stuff that got us to here and that's what you're looking for. And more than happy to, but you'd have to give me more than 15 minutes. We can go backwards if you want to show us something that would help. I think the comment was uh, oh. the other drawings that aren't there. Right. Yeah. Right. So if I can make a suggestion in terms of where we are, right? So this is conceptual design. There is no action taken. It is really for commissioners to provide feedback at this level of concept. Um, and the next time typically you would be back would be for a phase one review at schematic design. Feels like there's a large gap between where you are today and where we would see you in schematic design. 
um, commissioners, they, you could ask them to come back, I think, for a conceptual part two. We could also ask them to come back for um, an informal review with, um, which is a working session with two to three commissioners um, that we schedule. It's, um, you know, we can do it virtually, um, you know, outside of a regularly um, at a regular meeting and maybe this will help prepare you for the phase one um, presentation. And on fairly large, I've done a lot of fairly complex facilities and we do that. Right. Okay. okay. Happy to go either way. I think your latter suggestion, Joanna, was great to do an informal. Uh, I think we're ready to do that right now. In fact, uh, not this moment, not this hour, not this day right. <laughs> or this week, but maybe as soon as possible. And it sounds like informal is the way to go to expedite that. Right. If that's okay because with I the commissioners, we can ask, um, you know, we can schedule you probably for April and we can look at the, the calendar. We used to have a set time, but now that we've had new commissioners and stuff, we will look, go back and look at the calendar um, for that. It's not part of your normal cycle, though, right? It'd be we cycle would be right. It's not part of our normal cycle, and we would. Um, um, it's not regularly scheduled at this point, so we will have to do some scheduling with you. <laughs> My preference, um, if we do do that, I'd like to do it in person okay. uh, because it's it's easier to be able to share each other's expression about things. And you know, if I had to sketch over top, some it's just. I think we got to get to know. Well, well yeah, and you got to get to know us a little bit okay. too. And I think you don't know us well enough to know that we care and we understand, and we're trying to meet all the needs that you're trying to achieve as well. And that's but, fine. We can do it back in this room. You know, a working. It's a working session. Yeah. You know. Sure. Can I just? Uh, we we haven't heard from Seth yet. Uh, I I just want to pick up on something that Commissioner Carney talked about with related to the park, which is primarily a soccer field. And I just uh, how at some point it doesn't have to be even now, but just how well integrated is the design of this building with the existing park and the function of the park and how do people get to the park and if i'm a family and i'm in this housing but the park should be utilized and is it already overutilized and will it take enough you know do we have enough space anyhow the, the park seems like such a feature of this particular site that i haven't heard enough at all about how they're interrelated other than you can't cast shadows on them, but then I'm like, well, yeah, anyhow, so that, that's my comment. I'll stop. I, I want to respond to that because it's a very good point and it was a driving force for us is how do we respect the park and then how do we engage with the park, right? Uh, you know, that is, oh, so that's the, oh, oh sorry. Um, so that's, that's a priority when it comes to good urban design strategies. Um, so we looked at the better streets piece and got the bike lane and everything else. So also on 17th, we have opportunities. We've widened the sidewalk and done some things where there could be vendors or kiosks along 17th street. So there's an opportunity for like 3 to 4 spots and those spots could be either vendor oriented or they could become just flat spots. We've made them kind of flat so they could be other uses. So to have that opportunity there. The other thing we've done is uh, there's public bathrooms on the corner of Bryant and 17th within our commercial piece. 
um, where the child play area is, there's a linkage across. Um, I talked about the art piece on the corner of Bryant and 17th. That is to engage with the child play area. So we want the artist to be someone doing um, kind of a mo local type mosaic, but also an understanding there's a kids park there. So how do we engage with that kids park? On the opposite side, where you see in the far left on 17th and Hampshire, we have a uh, retails kind of opportunity there. It could be coffee shop. It could be whatever retail would be most successful. But if you look at the park and the, the parking, there's parking as you go up on Hampshire towards the park. There's a walkway that connects and comes across directly to that retail. And there's a lot of people that come up because I've spent some time in that park, watched the soccer games and did whatever I could. Um, but they park along there and then they walk down. Um, and there's a connection there. So we really were trying to play connections with the park. The other thing you didn't notice, but if you look at the air, and I know it's a tough one to see because that's from an aerial perspective, but from the playing fields to 17th, there's a, a, a strip of land that's pretty steep and sloped. So the playing field's about 12 to 14 feet higher than 17th Street. So there's a strip there, and on the podium of the uh, housing, we have a similar strip. So if you were flying around or coming up at a higher level, say you were lived on on 10th floor or something just down the street, you would see these two ba bands of landscaping on either side of 17th. So I didn't explain that, but it's there. On the top right, you see where the mosaic is. There's a there's all those little umbrellas there. That's the out, outdoor space for SFMTA staff. That's their lounge space. So one of the things is we try to use SEPTED um, uh, strategies, uh, crime prevention through environmental design strategies where there's eyes on the streets. That area up there, they're looking down on the park. They're looking on the street um, and they can enjoy it. They also have a similar spot on Mariposa, uh, but it's more covered because it's self-facing. So those are things that I just didn't touch on. One other thing to build on that, you have a... <laughs> You have a crosswalk um, on either side of the facility to the right is the northwest corner on Bryant and 17th crosswalk there. And that's a signaled intersection currently newly within the last couple of years. Thank God. Uh, and then on, and then another one on the other side on the left side, which is um, 17th and, and Hampshire. Uh, so that would be, you know, the, the mid block across that span, uh, probably not signaled because, again, there's a signal, you know, just right right there on uh, Bryant. Uh, but another thing to recognize is that yet another aspect of this project is um, really uh, intensifying um, the bicycle lanes across 17th Street. So 17th is a major east-west thoroughfare for bikes. Uh, and so they're doing separated bike lanes and, um, and other kind of um, yeah, right-of-way improvements, right? So, <clears throat> yeah, a lot to take into account in just, just the site uh, aspect of the design. And we're also looking at lighting and lighting pollution, right? Because lighting's fabulous, it brights up things, but also this is a neighborhood that's got houses, residents and things, and, but also you want safety. So lighting pollution is critical. So how far our lighting falls on the street? Uh, is it upward lighting, downward lighting? So, because you, you, know, you don't want to just light up the sky. So we have those strategies that uh, also are going to help. But yeah. So another feature that we haven't really talked about is Oh, oh, that's go ahead. You have a, you have a, comment. I just had 1 more comment, um, which hasn't really been brought out, but except in the visuals that there's actually 3 types of housing. 
There's the senior housing, which is along Bryant Street. There's family housing, which faces also onto Bryant and to the north. And then there's a new concept, which is workforce housing, which you mentioned. How does this facility right. gets back to the workforce housing, which is a new concept in San Francisco? The first time that this has been tried is for the San Francisco Unified School District. Right. Teachers and staff um, at the Shirley Chisholm site. Right. Um, so that's the first one. So we are looking into doing workforce housing for the first time for not for the school district, but for the MTA and for others who may work in this facility and have to get here at three o'clock in the morning to pull the first bus out at 4 a.m. or work the midnight shift. And so rather than having to commute an hour to an hour and a half, and there is no BART at that time, or if they're coming from far away. So we're trying to um, create something that's unique that can help San Franciscans be able to work and live in the same city. That's terrific. And another reason we, we like the love the concept of doing this. Before we go to public comment, I just want one more clarification. Um, as I was reading the documents, it mentioned that by the time this project is complete, that the whole system will be converted to battery powered buses. And so does that mean those wires that you see coming out like constant spider web above Mariposa Street and some of the others, some of those or a lot of those will be gone? Do you want to answer that? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately, the, uh, the MTA will be replacing its electric trolley buses, um, but that is in the future. And so this facility may be all electric trolley bus or it may be battery electric buses in the future. We are under a state um, car, California Air Resources Board mandate to replace all our hybrid buses with battery electric buses or BEVs as we call them. So we will be doing that in the future and we'll be converting all of our six bus yards ultimately, um, at least five or six, to battery electric buses. Um, so electric trolley buses are here to stay for a while more, along with the infrastructure and stay tuned on the BEVs. Okay, great. that's great. So is there any public comment in person and then via WebEx? Okay. Um, we will be taking in-person public comments. For those joining remotely, please raise your hand if you're listening via WebEx. If you're calling by phone, press star 30, place in the queue. Please press only once since pressing it more than once will remove you from the queue. Instructions are on the screen. We are currently on item six. As a reminder, you will we, as a reminder, your time will start when you begin speaking. You will see a visual timer if you're listening via, via WebEx. You'll be also given a 30-second audible warning. You will be muted once your time is up. However, you may stay on the line if you wish to speak on other agenda items. Anyone who speaks during public comment at today's meeting may supply a brief written summary to be included in the minutes if it's 150 words or less to Paris Colts at sfgov.org and checking for in person. No in person comment, but we do have a remote comment. Caller, can you hear us? Yes, can you hear you? Can you hear us? Yes. Okay. Uh, good afternoon, uh, commissioners and ladies and gentlemen. Uh, congratulations with a formidable project first. Um, my name is Jean Keidener. I'm the managing director for McCall's Catering and Events. We're located on 17th and Bryan, um, right opposite from uh, your project. Um, this is located in this uh, PDR of the zone, 
for, um, for over 30 years now. We've been in business for 43 years uh, with this organization. We employ about 200 employees um, at any given time. My concern are a bit more immediate than your design. Uh, and, uh, we have not been able to raise our concerns yet with anybody uh, related to this project, although we're opposite from the project. And, um, it's the fact of how all of this is going to impact uh, the current PDR zone for a small and medium enterprise. Um, you know, the, the bike lane has taken up uh, part of it. Uh, the parking lots that we had previously, previously have all been taken over by residential uh, construction. And this whole construction of this project is going to bring in a formidable workforce. And um, how is all of that presence going to be? Uh, be anticipated in, the, uh, in what is currently this PDR zone. And I keep on reminding you that this is a PDR zone. Maybe in due time it will be residential, but it's still a PDR zone. Um, and then we've been here for a long time, like to understand how that's going to impact our business and what the long term uh, implications are going to be for us as a company residing here in San Francisco. Those are mainly the, uh, the feedback that I have for you. Um, one other note. Um, I've been involved with an organization in Singapore, sorry, not, not America, who built something similar. Uh, you can look it up. It's capital land in uh, Singapore. They built a, a project exactly the same. It's called Sengkang Grand Residence. Maybe that's something for reference for you. Uh, that's all I have actually to say. I've signed that over, but I don't want to keep anybody. It's been a long day. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, before we adjourn, um, bravo to SM, uh, SFMTA for this concept. We think it's much needed and we look forward to working with you at your earliest convenience. So item number seven, if there's nothing else, is to adjourn the meeting. We still have two more items. Oh, that's right. We have to do the. But we're done. Yeah. yeah. So we have a. We can announce today. Yeah. That's a good. Day. Thank you. Right. Sorry about that. Okay. Item number seven. Yeah. The, the visual arts committee updates given by Commissioner Schneer. Yeah. Hi. Thanks. Okay. Um, this is just a quick one. Um, and when Paris gets a chance to put the images up. Oh, yeah. Okay. Since I'm here and you're there, you want to just do it for me? Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, on March 15th, the Visual Arts Committee approved the completed artwork titled Serving the City 2023 by Michael Bartalos uh, for Fire Station 49, uh, which happens to be the city's ambulance deployment facilities. None of you guys were here before, but we approved this, went through this process. Yeah. Anyway, um, the artwork consists of 21 10-foot high cut and painted steel panels mounted on the facility's entrance and exit gates. In the artist's words, the art imagery speaks to the history and visual vernacular of our emergency medical services, fire suppression, and the communities they serve, and references emblems, insignias, and badges associated with emergency medical response. The artwork also illustrates general fire department operations as well as San Francisco's neighborhoods and landmarks. So serving the city aims to communicate the fire department's mission to protect the lives and property of the people of San Francisco and to this end it suggests strength, courage and continuous commitment to this work. And the artist worked really extensively with the um, 
with the fire department and stuff to understand like and research different things about the SF fire department and also uh, historical about where serving the public and fire and protection and all that comes from. And it's just a fabulous, uh, it's, it's just kind of amazing. And uh, everyone there at the fire, uh, the fire chief herself is thrilled with it. Everyone is thrilled with it. So there you go. That's, that's what I hit. That's the BAC report for you. <laughs> oh, all right. That's wonderful. Love it. Thank you. Okay. All right. Is there any public comment on the visual arts committee update? Okay, we will be taking in person public comment first. For those joining remotely, please raise your hand if you're listening via WebEx. If you're calling by phone, press star three. If you placed in the queue, please press only once. Since pressing more than once remove you from the queue, we are currently on item seven Visual Arts Committee updates. As a reminder, your time will start when you begin speaking. You will see a visual timer if you're listening via WebEx and be giving a 30 second audible warning. You will be muted once your time is up. However, if you wish to speak on other items, you may stay on the line. Anyone who speaks at today's meeting can also provide a brief written summary of the comments to be included in the minutes if it's 150 words or less to paris.coats.sfgov.org. Looking for in-person comments. There is no in-person comments. There are also no comments remotely. Public comments are now closed. Thank you. All right. Um, then item number eight is the staff report given by Deputy Director of Programs, Joanna Lee. Thank you. Um, we did not have any administrative reviews since we've last met, so I don't have a staff report. We just would love to welcome Commissioner Brenzel again to your first meeting. Um, Live Yeah. <laughs> Good job. Baptism by fire. <laughs> okay, now you. <laughs> So, is there any public comment on the staff report? Okay, uh, we're taking in person public comment first. I see no in person public comments. <laughs> For those who join remotely, we do not see any remote public comments. Public comments are now closed. Thank you. All right. Okay. Thank you very much. So, item number nine new business and announcements. Are there any new business or announcements that any of you would like to make? Seeing none, is there any public comment? Okay. Um, you'll be taking in-person public comments. I see no in-person public comments. Um, I see no public comments remotely. Public comments is now closed. Thank you. All right, item number 10. That leaves us with item number 10, which is the adjournment of the meeting. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this is like...